wrestling thing, hitting the mark. Friday, September 14th, and you are tuned in to Season 2, Episode 36 of the Hitting the Marks Pro Wrestling Podcast, powered by the Roar Network at thegorillaposition.com, and presented by Hameen Media. <laughs> on this week's show, well, it's just too big to tell you everything that's going to be on this week's show. So I'll just remind you that this is a podcast by the fans for the fans, bringing you all the news that is news from across the professional wrestling world. You can find the show on Twitter at HTMPWPod, on Facebook at Hitting the Marks, email us at hittingthemarks at gmail.com. My name is Chargo. I will be your host for the day, but please join me in welcoming in my tag team partner, the OG of the Huckleberry Club, Huckleberry number one, RBV, Rick it's the biggest show in history of the Hitting the Marks Pro Wrestling Podcast. Are you ready? It's me, it's me. It's that R to the B to the V. Rick Vickery here. It is a beautiful Friday morning. We're on a, we're on a bit of a delay on our record schedule here, but with good reason, as you have so perfectly put over, this is the biggest show in the history of the Hitting the Marks Pro Wrestling Podcast. I'm excited, man. I'm feeling good today. Well, I mean, we, we got three huge interviews, a, a lot of hot news to cover, and a little Hell in the Cell preview. You betcha. Um, and, and before we jump into any of that, you want to tell anybody where in the hell you're recording from today? Well, it's, I, I wasn't really going to scoot that off, but... As I said, I am feeling good on a Friday morning because uh, I'm kicking back, relaxing in a jacuzzi. Here I am sitting in the in the dirty, in the sweaty locker room studios and Huckleberry's in a jacuzzi. I see how it goes. Well, before we jump down to wrestling business, Rick, I, I think we have some other business that we have to address before we jump in. Last week, we promised people a season two, episode 35, part two. And if you're not following us on Twitter or Facebook, they may have missed it. So, Rick, why don't you tell people about the weekend run-in with our friend Kevin Mize, and then we'll talk some other stuff that's not pro wrestling. Uh, well, you know, I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, we are still, you know, we're working out some technicalities with the weekend running, but uh, the basic principles of the thing is, you know, it, it's going to be, it's it's a quick hit. We're coming at you with four or five of the big news stories. We're giving you a quick takes on those things. Uh, it is live. Uh, last week, we're on Facebook. Again, this week, we're going to be on Facebook. We're going to transition that thing eventually over to, to YouTube, to the Hitting Marks Pro Wrestling Podcast YouTube channel. Uh, so, you know, when we make that move, we're going to keep everyone informed. So said right now we're, we're working on some of the kinks there. We're, we're getting Kevin used to the camera, trying to introduce him to a, a, a brand new audience. But while we're talking about it, we're not going to be running that tomorrow. We're going to be running it this afternoon after we get done recording here. 
Kevin's coming on over and we're going to sit down and get another episode out. That will probably be out before this is out because we're, we're recording an early morning session today. Then we're doing a midday session and then a later in the morning session. And then I'm going to sleep for a little bit before I go pick up my oldest daughter. And then I'm going to come home. I'm going to watch impact wrestling. I'm going to do the impact attack with big Ray Hernandez over at hackerhameen.podbean.com. Huckleberry, we are just, we are in demand this week. Hey, man, we're all over the place. And, you know, people don't only want to hear us talk about pro wrestling anymore. All of a sudden, people want to hear us talk football. So, Huckleberry, I got I will tip my cap to you, but I'm not wearing a hat today. Your Cincinnati Bengals, the first team in the NFL to go 2-0. Huckleberry, I saw that you were trying to fall in love with pro wrestling again at All In. Did you fall back in love with your Cincinnati Bengals as of yet? You know, yesterday was the first time in over a year uh, that I was representing with my Bengal gear. I I just, you know, originally when I turned away from the NFL, yes, it it was over the protest, kind of all that BS. Uh, The game itself had just changed so much, and I just found myself, you know, better enjoying my time elsewhere. Uh, but as you know, it really would kind of brought me around as me and you start to talk about it. I was always one of those uh, internet stalkers. Like I knew the stats. I, I followed all the trends, who was going where. Uh, but I just wasn't openly, openly, you know, talking football. I wasn't at there enjoying it. And then last week when me, you and I were, you know, we were kind of watching the overtime with, with the Steelers and the Browns. And I just start, you know, all those feelings came back a little bit. So I'm going to ease back into football. But yes, you are right. A huge win for the Cincinnati Bengals. I uh, just, you know, just not going 2 0, but, you know, get a big win over a division rival like Baltimore and how good Baltimore looked last week. I think now we know the answer. You know, Baltimore is a good team, uh, but more so, Buffalo is just that bad. Yeah, Buffalo uh, was pretty saw, they, You know, Baltimore laid it on them last week. What was it, like 47-3, to three, something like that? Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, Bengals are 2-0. and oh, First in the division, coming out of the gate strong. Uh, let's see if uh, they can keep that going. I, I think, you know, another big story coming out last night is Andy Dalton, you know, getting a big win in a primetime game. I'm not sold, man. I'm not sold. That game should not have been as close as it was. And I, the final score is a little uh, misleading there. Your Bengals were way up, and then they kind of fell off, and they had to hold on there at the end. I just want a little bit of consistency out of Cincinnati. That's always been my rip on Cincinnati. Let's say, you know, they, they had that huge first half. Uh, I think it was even the second quarter, you know, they, they put up 14 there. Uh, and then you're right, you know, the, the wheels just started turning or uh, spinning in the sand. They couldn't get anything going. And that's when the Ravens started picking up some momentum. So it, it was, as, as you said, it was a lot closer uh, than what the score indicated. Speaking of close games, we didn't get a chance to talk about it last week, but my Green Bay Packers, they put down them dirty Chicago Bears. The Bears still suck. Must we take this disgrace? Another Bears fan throwing insults in our face. The Packers are the greatest team to ever play the game. Even if from time to time they've been a little lame. How could you ever love a team with Jim McMahon? Not even Porky Pig was as big a ham. 
they got a reputation that's mostly based on luck. The bears still suck. The bears still suck. That's right. Huckleberry popped for it last night when I sent him the song, so we're going to put it in the show here. In dramatic fashion, the Packers and Aaron Rodgers come back and beat those hated Chicago Bears. That one made me happy, but boy, talk about a scary game. We almost lost Aaron Rodgers for the season. Uh, On a couple of occasions, you know, Aaron Rodgers, I mean, they were just taking him to the woodshed. Man. And you could see whatever they gave him in the locker room, he was feeling no pain. Uh, especially in that post-game interview, <laughs> I don't think he—I don't think he knew where he was. That dude was higher than Eight Track Brown. He had no idea what was going on. He didn't know who he was playing against. I'm not even sure he knew he was playing football last Sunday night in that second half. But hey, Packers get the big win. I'm hearing from sources that he is going to play Sunday against Minnesota. That game at noon local time. Of course, that is a house-divided game for us. Carly, I'm coming for you. The Packers going to do it again. So I guess that's all the football news. Huckleberry, let's uh, let's talk some uh, pro wrestling news because we do have that off the top of the show here this week. I've got ratings there because we knew Monday Night Football was going to slap the WWE around a little bit, and boy, they did not disappoint. Monday Night Raw comes in at a 1.87 this week. That's down from a 1.95 last week. 2.818 million viewers in the first hour. 2.601 in hour three. The lowest rating since July 9th. Any surprise here? Uh, you know, not really. But you know what? I, I, I'll take that back. Because, you know, sometimes they'll usually try to, you know, Plot out like where they maybe run a big segment to try to see a little boost uh, at half times or between games. And I was actually closely watching what they were running during those parts of the NFL game. They weren't doing anything special. Uh, they completely phoned this one in. Yeah. Yeah. Raw was not very good on Monday. Then SmackDown turns around. I would hope that SmackDown would do a little bit better with there not being any football on Tuesday, but nope. this week, down from a 1.68 last week, 2.29 million viewers, the lowest rating since August 14th. Now, granted, that's not that long, but I think the bigger story here, Rick, is we have these low ratings for the go-home show for a big pay-per-view this Sunday? Well, again, you know, neither of these shows really felt like they made that final sales pitch for Hell in a Cell. And again, I mean, they did some they did some little things here and there on both shows that were that were somewhat interesting, uh, but nothing that would you know get you overly excited. Where like you feel like you know Sunday is a big day. Yeah, you've got to be you've got to be somewhere with the with the network to catch this thing. You know, even by Wednesday or Thursday, I had almost forgotten that that Hell in a Cell was this weekend. Yeah, Monday Night Raw very much felt like. The big match for Hell in a Cell this Sunday should be Triple H versus The Undertaker with Mick Foley as the special guest referee inside the Hell in a Cell. But that's just not the case. One of the bright spots actually was Mick Foley. Uh, It was so nice to see him bring that fire, uh, that energy. The interaction he had with Elias was also great. But, you know, but really, again, at this point, what are you really saying? You're pretty much admitting that there's not really enough interest even in a marquee match 
like Roman Reigns and Braun Strowman inside uh, one of you know your most popular gimmick matches. There's not even enough interest there for them to carry it with the cell. You have to add on that extra layer and bring back a legend like Foley. And then to even you know to further top it off, they they replay the images of Foley going off the top of the cage through the cage. You're reminding us of you know how special this match used to be. Yeah, you're, I mean that's great. You're reminding us of man, this this thing could get wild, but we all know it's not. And this what we're going to get this week between Roman and Braun is going to be a very watered down version of what the hell Hell in a Cell should be, and it's a gimmick that's been overexposed. And there's a lot of people that are expecting Mick Foley to somehow be involved in this match. If it's Braun Strowman pushes down Mick Foley and Mick then makes a quick count to get Roman the victory, whatever they got to do, Mick Foley raises Roman's hand. One thing that's not going to happen, nobody is going to take out Mick Foley in this match. There might be the threat of it, but nobody is going to lay a finger on Mick Foley. And I know this because just this morning I was listening to Kevin Eck on the Wade Keller pro wrestling podcast. And evidently there is a zero touch policy on Mick Foley. Rick, were you aware of that? Uh, you know what? I actually think that I had heard that going back to the, you know, the very early beginnings of, of his run as general manager. And that's just because, you know, his health. Yeah. He's too frail. Right. I mean, didn't, was it like one of the reasons that he had left because he actually just had some hip replacements or something like that? I think he did have a hip replaced, actually. Okay. I, I couldn't remember that was the reason that he had left the GM position or they just want to make a change. But I, I knew somewhere in there he he was laid up for an extended period because of a major surgery like that. I thought Mick looked good. His promo was probably the best thing on Monday Night Raw. I shouldn't even say probably. It was hands down the best thing on Monday Night Raw. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, I love the fire there. You know, and now thinking about that match, I, love, I guess maybe the spot we get with him will be more. Could you see Sako coming into play? I guess. Maybe that's it. But, you know, other than that, don't expect too much from Mick. But is it any kind of a tainted win for Roman Reigns here? That's not a good thing. Like, if you want to get Roman Reigns over as a babyface, which is clearly the objective here, he needs a clean win. Well, yeah, I guess you're right. But, I mean, how many of those do we see in the cell? I mean, because the, the loopholes in this gimmick allow for so much to happen. You know, who's going to get involved? What kind of shenanigans are they going to throw at us here? I think this thing is going to resemble more of a of a train wreck, uh, which, it, you know, which it kind of should in ways, but I think it's going to just be completely absurdly over the top. I think they're going to overbook the hell out of this thing. And, you know, I, I think people are going to feel the same as they are coming into it where they're kind of just, uh, you know, they don't care. Well, you know what the problem is? This actually occurred to me last night while I was talking to Jersey Mike. The problem is the hell in a cell is the biggest blow off that you can possibly have inside the WWE. This is the first match in the feud. It doesn't work. There's no connection there. Yeah, and the choices they put they made for you know which matches are going to take place in a cell has just been very confusing anyway. But I, I know we're going to talk Hell in a Cell down down the road here. Well, number one, don't do Hell in a Cell just because it's September. I feel like that's the biggest goddamn problem here. Well, that's, and that's the problem we've run in with these gimmick pay-per-views. You know, you run 
into it's September, October. Oh, we got to throw something in a cell. And, and now even to even further, that's just because everyone is just so used to it. It doesn't have that uniqueness to it. But then it goes back to what they're doing right now. And this is why it was so hard to get into these shows is that we're trying to hype three different marquee events right now or four actually, because you've got the mixed match challenge. You've got hell in a cell. You've got evolution and they're in the, they got the super show. Yep. yep. So, and you're block booking all those and you're taking us from a segment to segment telling us, okay, we've got these five, you know, four or five different things we want you to be concerned about. We want you to be, uh, be getting hyped for. And it's so hard to, to focus and stay geared towards one situation. Yep, completely agreed. Speaking of big shows, we have four huge events this weekend that I wanted to clue people into in case that you're not planning on watching all these shows because there are some. Oh, I, I thought you were going to, when you said speaking of big show, I thought you were going to mention that big show was on this week's episode. <laughs> oh, yeah, we, we can talk about big show if you want to because I do no, have something no, to say no. about that. Uh, I, I will say that uh, a lot of the, uh, the characters that were there for the Connor, you know, Connor's cure thing, um, much more interesting wrestling personas than we actually get from WWE. Actually, I think I'll save that for Monday in the locker room. If you want to hear me trash Stephanie McMahon, tune in Monday to the locker room. Let's talk about this weekend's huge uh, wrestling events. Friday night, tonight, we have the CMLL 85th anniversary show. This is actually airing live on Honor Club, Huckleberry, so you can watch it if you want to watch some lucha. Uh, you know what? I'm going to check it out. You know, I saw that this thing's going to air on, on Honor Club, and we have the big match that you're going to get to here, but I, I want to watch that. It's the hair match. Uh, it's usually not my style, but I'm going to I'm gonna give it a, a try. I think you'll be pleasantly surprised. Matt Taven and Volador Jr. take on Rush and Barbaro Cavarino in a two-out-of-three-falls bout where the losers will have their head shaved. Rick, I need you to talk me off the ledge and assure me that there is no chance that the leader of the kingdom is coming back to the United States with a really bad haircut. I, I, that's what I wanted to ask you. So I was going to say, what are the odds here? You know a little bit more about this situation than I do. Uh, when I saw that stipulation, believe me, that was interesting. Uh, to see if Taven's going to have to, you know, shave those uh, those locks of his. Yeah, this one has me greatly intrigued because I don't see any of these guys losing. All of these guys have very long hair, but I really don't want to see Matt Taven get his head shaved because I think Matt Taven would look very much like uh, one of the druids that accompanied Joey Ryan to the ring at All In with his head shaved, if you know what I'm saying. Well, uh, what really got me there is, you know, as we're going to have here on the show later on, Ring of Honor World Champion Jay Lethal, you know, it's, it hasn't been that long since he's been rocking the bald look. So, and we and we know what match you're high on going into final battle. I just can't, I can't imagine that that visual of both of them, <laughs> both of them challenging, you know, go, facing one another in the main event with, uh, with, with both of them being bald. And we will talk to Ring of Honor Champion Jay Lethal. And oh yes, I plan on talking to him about Matt Taven and him ducking Matt Taven. That's what's going on here. Saturday in New Japan Pro Wrestling, this will be very early Saturday morning. You have destruction in Hiroshima or Hiroshima, depending on which part of Japan you're from. Um, number one, I hate this name. There should never be destruction in Hiroshima. Never again. Uh, but this match, this match might just uh, 
it might destroy Hiroshima as Kenny Omega is going to take on Tomohiro Ishii, the stone pit bull, Huckleberry's favorite New Japan talent. And Rick, I cannot wait for this match. Well, I'm going to tell you, if, if Kenny's been nursing any injuries or you know just working through a lot of pain, this match isn't going to do him any favors. No, no, it certainly will not. I love the chemistry in these two guys, though. These two guys are going to beat the ever-loving piss out of one another. I, this, this is going to be this is going to be one of those where it's just almost cringeworthy watching it because I mean, where you're going to feel the pain yourself. Yeah. Unfortunately, that's really the only match on that show worth watching. So I, there, I saved you a little bit of time there. Sunday, of course, we have Hell in a Cell. And then early Monday morning, Rick, we have Destruction in Beppu. And that match, or that night, is going to feature the Never Openweight Championship being defended by Hiroki Goto taking on Tai Chi. Of course, we know that the match is not official until Tai Chi takes off his pants. Yes, that's a real thing. And then we also have your main event, the masochist Minoru Suzuki taking on the leader of Los Ingobernables de Japón, Tetsuya Naito. Rick, these two guys, you talk about chemistry. I can't wait to see them beat the hell out of each other once again. I was going to say, you know, if you're looking for any a match that's going to be a must-see coming over, you know, the course of the next few days, uh, this would have to be it, wouldn't it? Yeah, very much looking forward to that because, man, NATO pissed Suzuki off the other day, and that's just not a good idea. Did you get to see the uh, highlights from the Road 2 tour? Uh, Yeah, you sent those to me. When uh, with Suzuki throwing chairs in the ring and NATO just grabs a chair and pops a squat with his back to Suzuki. Oh, that made Minoru mad. Yep, you sent that to me, and believe me, uh, that is, well, that is a, a, a such a great moment. You know, just sitting there watching it, even if even if you're really not familiar with the two's work, you know what they represent and all that, uh, you still could pop for it because it was very easy to pick up the vibe and what they were trying to go for there. As soon as you see it, you know the story. You know that NATO is a disrespectful little shit, and Suzuki's going to take him out back behind the woodshed. You know and, that. And that's pretty much what Suzuki's about. It's uh, You show him respect. Oh, even if you do show him respect, he's still going to beat, beat it into you. Yeah. Yeah. We, we, we saw that with uh, Setamoro when she uh, tagged with Minoru Suzuki. That didn't work out so well for her. Speaking of New Japan Pro Wrestling, though, New Japan Global has announced a new series for news. This thing is called The Wire, which, of course, you know, Americans heard The Wire is coming back. And we were like, oh, my God. Nope. Wrong wire. The first episode dealing with Fighting Spirit Unleashed. And, Rick, I actually learned something in watching this. This is going to air live on NJPWWorld.com Sunday, September 30th. It is going to be on Access TV but not until Friday, October 5th. Very interesting. Uh, what's, what's the reason for the delay? I don't know. I honestly do not know what the reason for the delay is. I absolutely expected Access TV to be airing this thing live. I don't know what's going on here. If the, It very well could be something just as simple as access had something else running on Saturday, September 30th. That was important, like an MMA fight or something. It's something else going on. Hey, yeah, I mean, well, let's, let's remain positive here. At least with access, look at how much wrestling content they're starting to produce. Oh yeah. Uh, they're, they're really moving in that direction. 
They want to be in the wrestling business, and they and they're offering great alternatives, you know, to what we're getting on the USA Network right now. I can't wait for Wow. I cannot wait. Getting caught up on YouTube via season two and season three. There is some really good stuff in that show. If you enjoy an old school studio wrestling show, that is absolutely something worth checking out. Uh, Rick, let's let's talk about an Olympic hero, a real Olympic hero. He won it with a broken freaking neck. And now he's off TV, and it seems as though Kurt Angle is questioning if or when he will ever return to the WWE in an Instagram post picture of himself, Stephanie and triple H. He says the same people that I started my career with in the WWE are the same people that have driven me away from WWE. I have not heard a word on when my quote unquote vacation would end. I'm starting to wonder if I'm ever coming back. Rick, is this setting something up for on down the road? Like come survivor series or, is this a shoot from Kurt Angle? You, you know what? I saw this on the run. I went. I had to go find the post. Here's what's here's what's already confusing me, and I'm sure as you're sitting here talking about it, you know the listeners are kind of like, "Wait a minute!" They've already come out and confirmed that he is going to be a part of that Saudi Arabia show. Oh, they did. Or wait, yeah. the Saudi Arabia show or the Australia show? That the Saudi Arabia. Oh. So we're setting up an angle here. What are you thinking? You think we get HBK and Undertaker and we get Kurt Angle versus Triple H? Who knows what we get there? That that could be a possibility. I mean, that's that is the style that that they're interested in. Is there someone else maybe that you would like to see Angle against besides Triple H if they're setting stuff up like this? Well, I think the fear is that they do Baron Corbin and Kurt Angle for control of Monday Night Raw. I don't think they would run a match like that because uh, that audience is going to have absolutely no clue who Baron Corbin is, really. No, not in Saudi Arabia, but they I, could I at think, Survivor Series. Maybe along the lines of like Angle versus Cena. Oh, yeah, I could see that. I wouldn't mind seeing that. So, so you're thinking inside of a Legends context? Is there right. anybody else? And, and what you could what you could do for storyline wise is. Where it's all right, Kurt. You've been sitting here saying that you don't. You haven't heard from us. You don't know when you're coming back. We'll tell you what. You're going to go to Saudi Arabia. You're going to have a match. If you win that match, you can continue on. You can return to Raw and continue on as the general manager. If you lose that match, you're gone for good. And oh, by the way, your opponent is John Cena. Nope. I got. I'll do you one better. Because we don't, we don't need John Cena. Nobody misses John Cena. What we're gonna do is we're gonna tell, we're gonna give Kurt that scenario, but we're gonna put him against the Shield, and it's gonna be Team Angle. We're gonna bring back Charlie Haas for one night. Shelton Benjamin, Charlie Haas, and they're gonna team up with Kurt Angle, and they are gonna fight the Shield. What do you think of that? Where is uh, is not Haas, but uh, where's Benjamin been? I, I would I would love that. I actually would love to see Team Angle return. Uh, but is he injured or something, Benjamin? Well, he's on SmackDown. I think he's probably hanging out with Ty Dillinger and catering. Well, I was going to say, we, we see so much of that roster, even if it's in little you know here and there situations, but I, I can't remember the last time I've seen him. 
Well, we got our truth right now. We're, we're doing the our truth and Carmella thing. And we all know Vince McMahon's only going to put like so many black guys on the show. You got to have New Day on the show. You got to have our truth on the show. Not that I'm saying Vince McMahon's a racist. Because I would never say that. Well, hey, you know, at least this week on SmackDown, we had uh, Kofi and everything but whiteface. <laughs> yeah, there was that. That happened. That certainly happened. I don't know what to say about that, man. That's I, I think uh, someone like Vince maybe just saw the Chappelle show. Oh, that could be. That could be. Speaking of somebody else who's not a racist, because these two guys enjoy beating the hell out of just about anybody. It doesn't matter what creed or race they are. Sammy Callahan has called out Chris Jericho. Rick, what do you think of this? Sammy Callahan says to Chris Jericho, Jericho... If you're listening to this, I'm calling your ass out. Whenever you're ready to do it, let's fucking do this. Sammy Callahan versus Jericho, one-on-one. I know I want to see it. I know the people want to see it. I know you want to see it. What do you think? Is uh, Jericho going to take out Sammy Callahan, Bound for Glory? I think that, I mean, how huge would that be? How big would that be? Here is my question for you, though. You know, Sammy's... He's sending the first shot. Now, he's laid the challenge out there. Jericho usually doesn't take these things, you know, very lightly. Uh, he usually strikes back and strikes back very hard. What, do you see Jericho kind of uh, maybe igniting the actual physicality between these two? Oh, yeah. That would not surprise me. You think maybe uh, Jericho shows up under a Ray Phoenix mask and takes out freaking... Sammy Callahan. I don't know what the hell to expect from Jericho anymore. You can't expect anything from the guy. Uh, the guy, he, he I, I, like you know, I continually say, or constantly say, the guy has evolved to a level where he goes and does whatever he wants in this business. In all of entertainment, uh, he is one of the top in the, you know, just not tops in the world today, but he is, you know, approaching of one of those truly all-time greats. But hey, back to Callahan real quick. He's just not calling out Jericho. He's pretty much put the entire Ring of Honor roster on notice as well. Yeah. Uh, Sammy Callahan seems to have an issue with Ring of Honor and the hierarchy at Ring of Honor. Uh, he pretty much he pretty much laid it out there. He's going to find his way onto the Jericho's, and he is going to take out every member of Ring of Honor that he can. He doesn't care if it's at a wrestling show that's going on there, if it's at a concert, if it's at a stage show, if they're just having dinner, if they're poolside. If you are on the Ring of Honor roster, Sammy Callahan is coming after you. Of course, we know on the cruise, Sammy Callahan is going to be taking on the villain, Marty Skrull. I'm still thinking that Marty's taking a swim. Oh, how great would that be? I think that's what's going to happen. I think Sammy Callahan is going to throw Marty Skrull overboard. That's absolutely what I expect to have happen on the Jericho's. Speaking oh, of that, that's going to be great. Speaking of Jericho, uh, he had this to say on working the uh, Ring of Honor G1 Supercard show that's going to be coming up in April at Madison Square Garden. He says, if there's a match presented to me that's interesting and I'm free, why not? Jericho admitted, I'm really kind of enjoying this free agency. Rick, do you think that there's any chance that Jericho is working Madison Square Garden on the weekend of WrestleMania and not in East Rutherford, New Jersey? 
That's interesting. I think I think there's you know, if we were just saying, you know, Jericho does what he wants when he wants. There's a lot he can get away with, but you'd have to believe this would probably be one thing that would really irritate some of the higher higher ups in WWE. Well, here's the thing though. All right. Jericho's not selling any tickets. This show is already sold out. Right. So, so there is that. But the question becomes, how many pay-per-views is Jericho going to sell by being on that show? And you know Vince is not going to be happy about that. I was going to say, I, I have a feeling he's not hes not happy with this entire situation. Isn't there news out there that Vince is actually scheduled to meet with the MSG officials sometime in, in this upcoming week or so? Love to be a fly on the wall for that. I, that's, that's what I was going to say, because you know, we got that speculation that it might have something to do with these other shows coming in and Vince ultimately trying to to prevent that from happening again. Or it could be complete, something completely different. You know, I'm sure they have other venues they manage it. And it is well known that WWE is still looking to secure a few venues during WrestleMania weekend for some of its other events. Very interesting. This is the bad boy, New Japan, pro wrestling, Tamatonga, and you're listening to that old ass podcast. Hey, tactics, it's time for warfare. Yo, we came to battle. Yo, we aim to kill. <laughs> So that was a bumper from our boy, Tamatonga. That's right, hitting the marks, now known as the Ho-Ass Podcast. I have a feeling I'm going to be using that bump a lot. The Ho-Ass Podcast. I like it, Rick. I like it. I'm going to play that every time we talk about Tamatonga on the show now. And Rick, we do have some Tongan news. It seems as though the Tongans are recruiting for the Bullet Club. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're looking to bolster their own ranks. But I think even the bigger story here is how Cody got involved. Yeah, Cody not very happy about it. Um, and Tama and Cody got into a bit of a altercation on Twitter. Tama Tonga saying, who is you? You wrestle? Watch me as I demolish your team step by step. I am Bullet Club, and Bullet Club belongs to New Japan, not ROH or anyone else. Cody responds by saying, you brain dead, what the fuck are you talking about, ROH? I'm certain New Japan Pro Wrestling is happy with Bullet Club being represented by the people drawing actual money and trying to change the status quo. But we are all super impressed by your longest employee card. Rick, I saw this whole thing going down. I'm telling you, man, I got a bad feeling about that Juice and Cody match in Long Beach. Tamatonga is coming for Cody Rhodes. Well, you know, as we were talking about that, what is going to be the out here for both of these guys? You know, you get obviously we, we don't see Cody taking uh, the United States Championship off of Juice, but... You know, in turn, though, you still got to protect Cody, especially he's going to be representing NWA as the world's heavyweight champion. What was the out? You called it. You immediately, before any of this started between these two, you said, what, get ready for the Tongans. That's your out. Yep. And it seems as though I was right. Now, my question to you is, do you want to see Cody Rhodes defend the NWA world's heavyweight championship against Tamatonga? Because I kind of do. I think I would like to see that match anywhere for anything. 
It doesn't have to be for the title. It doesn't have to be in a sanctioned NWA event. Like, go over and do it for New Japan. Just do it somewhere. Yeah, I would really like to see that match. Of course, with Cody retaining the title. But I guess that begs the question, do you think Cody's going to hang on to the title at the NWA 70th anniversary? Or do you think he's going to give this thing right back to Nick Aldis? Uh, you know, originally, well, going back to before All In, you know, as I called, hey, Cody's going to win this thing. It's going to have that big moment and then return the favor and hand it back over to Aldis at their big event. But, you know, now I, I could see Cody continuing to keep a run here. He is he's bringing such so much needed attention to that promotion. But on the other hand, Aldis was an amazing champ. He, he looks like a million bucks. He looks like a superstar. I guess, hey, this is a good it's a good problem to have because I don't think you could go wrong with either one. If I had my choice though, I would take Cody. I think I would too. Just, just what, what comes with it, you know, where Cody is, especially, you know, with the fans you are trying to draw, they recognize Cody, you know, there's a huge following for him. There's so much respect. I have to agree with you. If you can get a deal with Cody in place going forward with something like that, he probably, not probably, he is the better choice. But, you know, but that's, I don't want to make it sound like it's a knock on all this because he has been doing an incredible job representing the NWA. Random thought. And tell me if I'm just talking completely out of my ass here. Do you think that there's any chance that this group, Cody and Marty and Hangman and Kenny and the Bucks, do you suppose there's any chance that they go with the NWA instead of the WWE or Impact or Ring of Honor? You know, yeah, I was thinking about this yesterday, you know, especially at All In. And, and we had heard Cody say this prior to All In because when he spoke with us on the, uh, the press call, he made that statement that they have all agreed that no matter what they do, they're going to stick together, you know, that they are, they're going to be a cohesive unit going forward in this business. And I got to thinking about is sometimes, you know, on the surface, that sounds like, yes, you know, if they're going to sign somewhere, they're all going to go there. But a lot of times in wrestling, you have to dig a little deeper. I don't think that when they say stick together, I don't necessarily think that means if one goes to WWE, all go to WWE. It could just be more of no matter what we do, where we go, we're going to stick together in a partnership for business reasons. You know, to continue on where they, you know, they've all, you know, got investments in like all the merchandise and, and different things that they could, you know, venture out into. This is not on the run anywhere, but did you watch the May Young Classic from the other night? I have not watched it yet. You need to watch that Deanna Perrazzo versus Priscilla Kelly match because number one, Priscilla Kelly looks an awful lot and moves an awful lot and has a move set an awful lot. She's basically Paige when Paige was in NXT. But secondly, Deanna Perrazzo, I think she's uh, learning a certain thing or two from a certain villain, if you know what I'm saying, because she was incorporating an awful lot of British style that I have seen a certain man who wears a plague mask performing. 
Now, granted, they're dating. We know that. But that also tells me that Marty's been spending some time in Orlando. Have we had any reports of him being down there doing anything? Nope. Not a word. That's absolutely a story to follow, especially now that he bought that damn dog. Did you see the dog? Yes. Yes, I have. Now, Marty keeps coming back up here, but I keep going back to the the image of him going off the side of that boat. (laughs) It's going to happen, man. Sammy's going to send the villain flying. No, what I think is going to be even better, think about afterwards. I mean, how great is that moment going to be? You know, that big splash he goes off the boat. But then we're going to get like a mini series on being the elite of Marty Lost at Sea. And the best part is he's going to be swimming in one of those like uh, red and yellow inner tubes. That's what it's, that's what it's going to be. It's going to be a cruise ship, Dragon Marty. There's so many different directions they could go with this thing. I mean, he could end up, you know, as a castaway on an island somewhere or something like that, or you're just drifting at sea for weeks. I, it's going to be, it, that's going to be great. <laughs> okay. Let me ask you one more Marty question and then we'll wrap up this part one here. All right. So I was watching uh, NXT this week and Nikki Cross is on there taking on Bianca Belair and I'm laughing through about half of the match. And then suddenly it occurs to me, Nikki Cross is not supposed to be funny. She's supposed to be batshit crazy, right? That's the gimmick. Is Marty kind of getting into that territory too? Like, have we completely lost the villain? I think you're right. I, I think you bring up a great point because even, I mean, let's go back to, you know, the all in match with, with Okada. Uh, I mean, he had some great character work, but a lot of it kind of had some humorous undertones to it. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. The two, you know, five, not, not Marty being able to execute the power moves and, you know, and his back giving out things like that. But I mean, then, I mean, he's so good. He could quickly, you know, turn it on where you knew you had, you know, things got a much more serious, but then he'd pull you right back where it was a bit of a comedy act. Yeah. And I mean, it's great for Marty, but I'm, I just, I almost feel like this character is almost ran its course. I'm, I'm ready for Marty to go and back to being the villain again. I want to hear evil Marty Skrull. I want the, I want the Skrull that was cutting promos on Osprey over in progress, you know? And I think, you know, I, I, when we do get to that point, it's going to be huge and people are going to eat it up. You, you know, at some point we're going to get that hard, uh, just return to the villain. Very interesting. I look forward to that. Let's talk about another gentleman here that we met up at Starcast. His name is Craven. Uh, Rick, this thing uh, all kind of came through because of Fire Pro Wrestling. If we wouldn't have had Fire Pro Wrestling at our table, we never would have met Craven. Yeah, I was going to say, I, I I got to listen to the interview you had with him. And the listeners are going to love this thing. This guy is, he's uh, hot. I can't emphasize that enough. A hot up-and-comer. Uh, hopefully, that some of you out there are familiar with his work already. He is, He's had quite a bit of exposure in the States. Uh, but if you're not, I think after this interview, you're going to go you know, find what you can on him and become a fan. I love his match against Steve Carino, but then again, I love every Steve Carino match. So ladies and gentlemen, I present to you the Australian sensation, Craven. You can tell that 
What's up, peeps, freaks, and geeks? Welcome back to this very special edition of the Hitting the Marks Pro Wrestling Podcast. I'm here solo this morning as it's early here in the United States, but it's not where my guest is from. Ladies and gentlemen, please join me in welcoming to the show. He's a former five-time all-action wrestling champion, all-action independent champion, twice an all-action tag team champion, 2009 Unleashed Rumble winner, a former Platinum Wrestling Worldwide champion, Revolution Championship Wrestling's James Wilson Memorial Tournament winner, all-action 2014 Wrestler of the Year, a current feature for the Crash Lucha Libre, ladies and gentlemen, the Australian sensation, Craven. Craven, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Wow, that was one heck of an intro. That was, that was long. I've never heard something so long in my life um, when someone put that as an intro about me. That was cool. Thanks for having me. No problem, man. It was great. We, we actually met up at StarCast. We had a little bit of a conversation there, and I was like, dude, I got to get you on the show. So here we are. Yeah, we did. Yeah, I know, I know. I'm back home now, though. Um, kind of, kind of um, surreal that you know, a couple of weekends ago, we were at Starcast in Chicago at one of the coolest weekends in independent wrestling history, and now it's in the history books. But at least we got the chance to meet because that was a fun weekend. It's very cool. Uh, Craven, you've been in the business now for about 12 years, as far back as I was able to find in my research. Uh, tell us a little bit about your training, your early days in the business down in Australia, as well as the Australian wrestling scene in general, because it seems to be booming like crazy over the last couple of years. Yeah, um, well, when I first started, yeah, about 12 years I've been, I've been doing this. I mean, uh, maybe a couple of years before that, when, you know, we got together as friends, um, and decided that, you know, we wanted to try and be wrestlers. Um, it's, it's good that you said that it's booming. Cause when, uh, I'll take you back to 12, 12, 14 years ago, around that era, there was, there was no one, there was nowhere to get trained in Australia, um, to be a pro wrestler. So, um, we sort of just, uh, me and a couple of friends just decided that we wanted to do this and we started to put together shows and contact local centers and um, hire out, you know, little cheap boxing rings and little venues and things like that and uh, put together these makeshift, quote unquote, backyard shows. Um, but uh, a couple of years into that, when we decided that um, that's what we wanted to do, uh, one of the guy that taught me to uh bump properly or train properly uh, his name is andrew the shark carter and he actually went over to lance uh, storm's wrestling academy in, in canada um in about 2008 uh, i think it was um and then when he came back he started uh the all action wrestling academy where he started training a few guys or passing down not training passing down the knowledge he just learned from lance storm to try and uh to try and get us up to speed to learn how to do this uh learn our craft properly, so to speak. Um, then from there, uh, 2009, I decided, you know, I want to do this. Um, I want to do this properly. So I moved over to the United States and there was a company in um, uh, Indiana called Platinum Wrestling. Uh, and it was run by the a guy by the name of Eric Hartsburg, who is no longer a wrestler, um, I don't believe. 
but he was also training. He was a former student of uh, Rudy Gonzalez out of the Texas Wrestling Academy or the Shawn Michaels Wrestling Academy, and he was ta- uh, training guys. So I never had any big-name trainers. I just sort of jumped along and uh, had uh, had this training at different academies that um, that had passed down knowledge um, when I first started off, which was kind of cool um, to get that sort of knowledge on the independent scene, at least these guys before me had done it correctly. Um, and yeah, and then I just sort of started traveling around the United States in 2009 and just getting booked on little, little shows or wherever I could, um, for the next couple of years here in, uh, in the U S and Australia. And then, um, finally I decided to go to Florida championship wrestling in 2011, uh, when they uh, opened it up to guys to come in and actually, uh, do camps and get trained and stuff like that. And that's where I probably got polished up the best um, to learn how to do this. So, yeah, it's a brief outline of of how I got started in the business, I guess. That's great. I was watching a couple of your matches yesterday in preparation for the interview. Um, I watched the match against Steve Carino because Steve Carino is one of my personal favorite all-time wrestlers. And I also watched your match against uh, Mr. 450, and I was noticing that you use a swanton as your finisher. You're, you're quite the high flyer. Obviously, there's, there's a big Jeff Hardy influence there. Who else inspired you to enter this crazy world of professional wrestling? Um, Jeff Hardy was, uh, was definitely an influence on me. That, that came from before I uh, started wrestling. I actually did gymnastics. Um, and... Uh, you know, in gymnastics, you do like a, a front flip or a back flip or something, and no one would even care because they're so used to seeing that. But then I'd watch Jeff Hardy do a simple front flip, um, you know, when he was really young and stuff on Raw, and the crowd would lose their minds. And I was like, well, I want to do that. You know, like, I, I want to be like that. Um, I, I already liked wrestling, uh, but I was like, oh, I want to do that. The person that got me... Uh, pretty much into wrestling uh, was the Ultimate Warrior. I just I thought he was a superhero when I was younger, and you know I saw clips on TV or old tapes pop up. He was just so cool, you know, with his face paint and how big and you know he was just this superhuman guy that used to shake the ropes and run to the ring and splash guys, and he could gorilla press anybody. And he was just he was the guy that got me into wrestling, which is. A big disappointment to a lot of Hogan fans. (laughs) (laughs) That's actually how we struck up our conversation was because you have an Ultimate Warrior tattoo. And then we started talking about tattoos. And I was like, oh, my God, he's a Star Wars nerd. Oh, my God, he's a DC Comics nerd. Oh, shit, he's actually a wrestler, too. Maybe we should talk. Yeah, that's true. I do. Um, I do have a Star Wars sleeve on my left arm. They're my favorite movies of all time. Um, and DC Comics. I am a much. I am a DC Universe fan much more than I am a Marvel fan. Even though Marvel movies generally do a lot better than DC movies, I think the comics are still better. Yeah, but our animated universe kicks their ass. It definitely does. It definitely does. If I could steal one character from the Marvel Universe, it would be Deadpool, though. That would be about it. (laughs) I'm right there with you. Obviously, you've had some great experiences down there in Australia. How was integration into the United States? Um, That was, was, uh, like, it was really good. Um, It was because I knew some people from where I was training over in Indiana. It wasn't, 
it wasn't too bad. The, the styles that I was taught obviously came from Canada and the US, so it was very similar. So it wasn't too bad. Um, it wasn't as daunt like it was more daunting than it actually was. So the the fear of oh they're going to be completely different. Um, but yeah, it was it was actually quite easy to be honest. It's more just uh, moving away from home and things like that, which was the hardest part. But I guess uh, uh, wrestling in the United States is um, a lot bigger than it is in Australia. However, like you said before, Australia is getting a lot better than what it was, uh, you know, seven, eight years ago. We discussed this a little bit at StarCast, and someone with your experience, I, I, I find that you have a lot of experience in this area. In wrestling all over the world, you've been working for a lot of different audiences. Do you notice much of a big difference inside of the crowds, depending on where you are? And do you change your in-ring style at all when you're facing somebody in like the NWA Midwest Territory versus like in Mexico or in Australia? Well, definitely. The, the biggest thing is not so much for the U.S. and Australia. They're, they're I think, very similar, um, quote-unquote, Americanized. Um, Mexico is a different world, when it, in, in my experience, anyway, when it comes to um, working matches there, the people, the fans, everything. It's, it's a completely different experience. I can't, um, I can't, yeah, when people ask me that, I just can't explain it. I just said it's a different world, like, after I did my first uh, match at the crash, I was—I literally had to go sit down for, um, you know, two or three minutes just to take it all in because I couldn't believe what had, you know, what had just happened. Um, not just the wrestling style in the ring, but just your entrance and leaving the ring. It's, uh, you know, some independent shows and things. You know, you go out, you have fun in your entrance, and then when your match is over, you roll out of the ring, you know, walk backstage, you may pose or whatever. Um, and get backstage, and that's it. We're in Mexico. Um, the one thing that sh- just blew my mind is it took me seven minutes to get from the ring. This is the first time I was there to backstage because people were just, you know, grabbing you for selfies and autographs and things like that. It's just, it's surreal. So it's the best thing that um, you can ever experience as an independent wrestler, in my view. Of course, we met all in weekend at StarCast. You were there working for Warrior Wrestling, which is a a great little promotion inside of the Chicagoland area. I guess if you can call it little when they're drawing houses like they are. Uh, This show featured uh, talents um, from Impact Wrestling Champion Austin Aries, Pentagon Jr., Rich Swan, Ray Phoenix, Brian Cage, Jeff Cobb, Ray Mysterio. You were in a big six-man tag match that night against Gringo Loco, Isaias Velasquez, and Matt Nix. Uh, tell us a little bit about the show, the story of how you found yourself on the show, and what your experience was like being around all those legends and David Arquette. <laughs> um, well, the old... If you were trained correctly in pro wrestling, from what I've been told, um, I can't go saying that just yet um, in my career, but from what I've been told, you've always told, always have your gear with you, always. And that, um, uh, well, I'm truth to that because I was not booked on that show until two days before. Um, What happened was I wrestled the weekend before in Chicago at Freelance Pro Wrestling. And I met the promoter for Warriors of Wrestling after he saw my match. And we happened to have a chat and he, um, he blatantly said, oh, yeah, I like, your, I like your work. I like your wrestling style. Here's my email. I'll keep in touch. And that was that. Anyway, two days before the Warriors of Wrestling show, um, I was already 
in back in Chicago because I'm I reside in Orlando when I'm over in the US. And I had my gear with me, even though I came to All In knowing that I wasn't booked on All In, I was just coming to simply enjoy the weekend. Um, and he texted me and he said, uh, do you have your gear on you? And I said, yeah. He said, well, we've just lost one of the guys in the sixth man. Do you mind filling the spot? And I was like, of course I will, because I knew who was going to be on the show. Um, and that's how I came to being on that show. As far as the experience on the show, being in the same uh, locker room as guys like Phoenix, Pentagon, Mysterio. It was, for me, uh, especially coming from so far away in another country, it was it was very surreal as well. It was like a childhood dream to be uh, working on the same show, sitting at catering with Mysterio, um, which was really cool. Like, you know, um, a, you know, 90% of me was being professional and then a 10% of me was, you know, you have to hide the fan inside you because you do. I mean, when people says you can't be a fan, I think we're all fans when it comes to pro wrestling. Um, and, uh, yeah, that was really cool. And everybody was just so super nice. It was, um, yeah, it was a great night. I mean, to, to the point that we were that well looked after at Warriors of Wrestling, like the, the promoters and that were that good that I wasn't even nervous. Like for a, for a house is that big sometimes, you know, well, most of the time you get nervous. I get nervous at every show, but uh, yeah, I wasn't even nervous. It was just really cool. Uh, while we were chatting at Starcast, you told me this great story about current IWGP United States Champion Juice Robinson that happened uh, during one of your uh, uh, stays down there in Florida. Uh, I hear Juice has a slightly different version of the story, and I, I even thought about trying to reach out to Juice to come on and tell his side of the story just as a rib on you, but Juice is off all social media, and I couldn't find any way for his uh, contact information. So, uh, Craven, why don't you go <laughs> ahead and, and tell our listeners your side of the story of when you knocked out the current IWGP United States heavyweight champion. Well, it's funny. It's funny that you say that because I texted Juice after we had that chat and I said, okay, I finally got to tell my side of the story to a podcast host and I hope it gets on air somewhere. Um, and Juice texted me back and said, and I, I happened to throw in there, I said, but don't worry, you weren't as big as you are now, so, you know, I don't want to rock the boat. And he sends back a message saying, no, I'm the same size now, so watch out. <laughs> but anyway, um, the uh, the story goes that, you know, back in 2011, Juice and I were both at uh, Florida Championship Wrestling. It was a WWE tryout at the time. Um this is before NXT or the performance center was around and we were paired up. Uh, we were paired up and we were doing quite well. So, uh, the first couple of days we had, you know, we were doing all our drills together. We were, and then the last couple of days we had matches. The first day, the match went really well. And on the second day, they were calling up people to have secondary matches that they were looking at <laughs> and they were interested at uh, or in anyway, long story short is, um, during our match, uh, I went to arm ring a juice and I arm ring at him and I pulled his arm that down that hard and he, he sort of left his feet and his face hit the mat. And then I looked at juice over and he was snoring. Like he was snoring. He was out cold on the mat. Everything stopped. The match stopped. Steve Kern, Norman Smiley got in the ring and they rolled Juice over, sort of put him on his side, you know, because he was out cold. And then as he woke up, he looked at me, not caring about who was around him. And he looked at me and he goes, 
Craven, come on, pin me. We've got the spot. Pin me. And I just started laughing and I didn't know what to do. I was like, geez, you're conscious. Like, calm down. And, uh, yeah, that was the time that I knocked out the IW, all the current IWGP US champion. Fantastic Hopefully stuff. Hopefully it's not the last. <laughs> uh, one more thing I wanted to ask you about. As I was going through some of your pictures earlier today, you seem to be taking this running diary, the shot of you sitting cross-legged in the middle of every ring that you sent t- seem to uh, wrestle in. What's what's going on with the yeah. pictures? That is uh, what I do. Is that that is exactly that? It's a running diary. So everywhere that I wrestle, whether it's in Australia, um, Asia, uh, Mexico, or the US, um, I have this. I have this. Uh, not this, well, yeah, it is a dream, but not uh, solely to end up. But originally, uh, when I first started in this business, making it in the WWE was everything. That's, that's, where, you, that's where you had to be to be something in wrestling. So I, uh, I said to myself, I'm going to take a photo of me cross-legged in every ring, uh, every, not every ring, because I've all worked for the same promotion. It's sort of pointless. But every city that I work in or different states or whatnot, I take this picture and I've got a collage of... Um, all these pictures, which I sort of am currently making for the end goal originally was if I ever got signed uh, by the WWE, all I was going to do was have the big picture in the center of me sitting in a WWE ring with all these pictures, with all these other uh, small independent feds around it. So that was the idea behind that. Um, it's still, it's still the dream in, in one sense, but then on the other sense, after the all in weekend, I think, uh, I think Cody and the Bucks showed everybody in the world that you don't need to be signed uh, to World Wrestling Entertainment to make it as a professional wrestler. So, I mean, maybe if I get on an all-in show or something big like that, that can be the centerpiece of the poster. But you never know. But that was the idea behind it. Craven, we don't want to keep you too long. I want to thank you very much for joining us today. Uh, Why don't you tell the people the best way to find you on social media and what you've got upcoming in the near future? Okay, cool. Well, um, my social media handle is, well, if you go to Facebook, it's just facebook.com forward slash Australian sensation. Instagram, my handle is at TAS underscore Craven. Twitter is currently in the works. I'm I'm currently getting Twitter as we speak. I've been told by everybody that I need to get a Twitter. So that is um, coming up. That is in the future. Uh, what have I got coming up? I've got a few things. Um, I've got a few shows in Australia coming up, which is uh, going to be really cool. Um, I've got I'm debuting in Singapore on the 25th of October for Singapore Pro Wrestling, which will be great. Um, and I guess the biggest news, which is pretty much hot off the press, which they haven't announced yet, so you guys will be the first to know, but I'll be back in Tijuana at the crash on December 1st in Mexico, which will be pretty cool as well. Very cool. Very cool. Best of luck. Safe travels. Keep in touch, man. We'll, we'll do this again sometime. I will do. Sure. Thanks for having me on the show. Boom, boom. Coca-Bana. Boom, boom. Coca-Bana. Boom, boom. Cole Cabana, it's Cole Cabana. Hey, this is professional wrestler Cole Cabana, and one thing I would never do is hit the marks, which is weird, because you're listening to Hitting the Marks. All right, Rick, so there you go, ladies and gentlemen, the Australian sensation, Craven. Well, I, I want to say to you, Jargo, what an amazing job there again. Uh, great interview. 
Well, thank you very much. He he's uh, an easy guy to talk to. We have a lot in common. I, I expect that we will have Craven on the show many times going forward. He's a fun guy to talk to, and it's just fun talking to people that are literally halfway around the world. Well, I was going to say, you know, there was a reason I, I wasn't, uh, you know, in on that interview. I mean, how many hours ahead was he? I mean, you had to do this thing 6 a.m. in the morning. Yeah, and it was uh, that was 7 a.m. his time or 7 p.m. his time. So they're 13 hours ahead. So trying to set up interview times, it actually works out pretty well with my work schedule. That's why we did it first thing there in the morning. But now, before we get to the Jay Lethal interview, which is fantastic, by the way, uh, we, we got to talk some Hell in a Cell. Hell in a Cell. Oh, we, we, Huckleberry. We do? I mean, as hot as this show has been and is going to be... We are still burdened with WWE. We got out of it last week, Huckleberry. We got out of it last week. We got to go through this thing this week because we, we've got some things that we've got to talk about here. Um, I think there are some potentially good matches on this show. There is some very baffling matches on this show, but I actually have the rundown. I have the setup for all these matches. See if we can make some kind of sense out of this. Let's go ahead and start things off with Daniel Bryan and Brie Bella taking on The Miz and Maurice. Of course, at SummerSlam, The Miz defeated Daniel Bryan after The Miz's wife, Maurice, gave him a pair of brass knuckles that the referee did not see. That is all speculation, by the way. I still say it was the power of love. On the following SmackDown, Miz and Maurice mocked Bryan's retirement speech from two years earlier. Bryan and his wife, Brie Bella, came out and confronted them. Bryan called The Miz a coward for having to cheat to win and said that SmackDown general manager Paige approved the mixed tag team match between Bryan and Brie, Miz and Maurice at Hell in a Cell. That's right. Six weeks worth of creative in six minutes. That's the entire setup for this match. And since then, we have been running in quicksand. Rick, has this thing sank or swum for you? There are bits and pieces of this program that have kept me holding on. Uh, this is one of the things going on within WWE that I'm actually I am enjoying right now. Uh, but, you know, there are some things here that are a bit of a turnoff. Number one, I know we have the Mixed Match Challenge coming up. They're, you know, they're using maybe this as a catalyst to hype that second installment there. But these, these intergender matches in WWE are almost just in themselves a turnoff, just the way that they are structured. And I really haven't enjoyed uh, – part of this program is that Brie continually – uh, of salting the Miz. Yeah. I, I, that, that's been something that's kind of turned me off to it. You know, just going back to this past week, I enjoyed the close of SmackDown. I thought they, if, if there was anything that we've got going on here at Hell in a Cell or, you know, excuse me, SummerSlam 2.0, if there's anything going on this week that they they really wanted to hype for Hell in a Cell, I thought they, they did it right with this thing. But, like, but you had Miz pulling Brie out of the ring and she took a pretty hard bump on the floor there. And, you know, immediately the commentary is all over. Oh, oh my God. He put it, he put his hands on her. Well, give me a break. She's been, she's been punching him in the face for weeks now. Uh, and he, and there's no way that he can, you know, exact any kind of revenge there. 
Yeah, I'm kind of checked out on this thing at this point. I'm much more looking forward to the Miz versus Daniel Bryan match that's going to be happening in Australia for the number one contendership. And nobody's talking about that. We're talking about all these other matches going down in Australia, but that hasn't even been freaking mentioned once. Well, I, I expect that, you know, they want this focus on this mixed this mixed tag, especially, you know, because it gives them an extra reason to hype up the mixed tag challenge coming up. And maybe why I'm still invested in this program overall is I'm hoping for much more down the road. I, you and I have talked about this on previous episodes. You know, we'd really love to see in this little stretch, this feud here, have the Miz just completely dominate Daniel Bryan. Give him complete bragging rights, uh, especially, you know, have him win here in this mix in this mixed tag have Miz win the number one contendership. I mean, that gives him through the late fall winter into the new year. He has that over Daniel Bryan. I'd eventually love to see the Miz take the WWE championship. Daniel Bryan win the Royal rumble. And we revisit these two at WrestleMania. Now, either way you slice it, I feel like the Miz and Maurice can win this thing. I don't think it really matters. If Brian and Bree are going to win this match, it has to be Bree pinning Maurice. There's no way we can give Daniel Bryan a pinfall win over the Miz, but we could give Bree one over Maurice. Do you think Miz and Maurice win this match, or do you think that they give the Bryans the win here and still protect the Miz and Bryan storyline? You know, to me going forward, even if Daniel Bryan and Bree get the win, to me, that almost completely stalls the potential for the great program going forward with Daniel Bryan and the Miz. Yeah, I think you really need to establish Miz is continually getting one up on Daniel Bryan. Put Daniel in that held down underdog role again here. That is where he is best. He is best from you know having to you know climb the mountain to in all the obstacles to ch- achieve success. To me, I I want to see the Miz outsmart. The uh, Bryans here again, you know, cause some concern where where Daniel has to where, where he is ultimately worried about Bree's safety and the Miz steals a pinfall victory again on Daniel Bryan. To me, that is the only way uh, this match should end. Anything else is, you know, just a cop out by WWE trying to protect themselves from being afraid to do the right thing. Let's talk about what I think should be your main event, but it sure as hell isn't going to be. And that is AJ Styles taking on Samoa Joe at SummerSlam during the WWE Championship match between Samoa Joe and defending champion AJ Styles. Joe taunted Styles by disrespecting his wife and daughter who were in attendance. And irate Styles attacked Joe with a steel chair, resulting in Joe winning by DQ, but Styles retaining the title. On the following SmackDown, Joe attacked Styles from behind during an interview and continued to disrespect Styles' family. On August 24th, a rematch between the two has been scheduled for Hell in a Cell, and since then, it's been basically story time. Who is your daddy? Is Samoa Joe finally going to take the title from AJ Styles, or do you think AJ reigns supreme yet again? You know, this, this is a program I am completely turned off on. Uh, and I like how you dropped in story time. How god awful was that segment this past week? 
You know, I kind of go back and forth with it because typically I don't like those long thought drawn out sort of segments, but I can see this Samoa Joe character who is being so cerebral and trying to get into AJ Styles head, getting with a production guy and saying, this is what we're going to do. I could see Samoa Joe going there. So I, I'm kind of going back and forth about how I felt about that segment, to be completely honest. I don't know. To me, it was just, uh, again, over the top cheesy. It, the first thing I thought of was going back to how they were trying to force kind of the same sort of like humor or the same sort of angle with, with Roman Reigns not so long ago. You know, he's out there you know, making references to nursery rhymes and, and trying to be uh, cute, if you will, in that in that manner. But I know these two are, are they're incredible performers. They're two of the very best professional wrestlers in the world. Even on their worst day, they have a they have a chance to steal the show. So there's you'll always have that. You know it's going to be a good contest between the two. Hopefully, you know the way the match is booked. It's not like at SummerSlam we got that hokey finish that kind of I don't know tainted the great performance that they had given us throughout the match but i don't know just even from the get-go i'm still it's just so hard to get into this year a terrible father act for me i understand that i'm not necessarily a fan of the way this entire storyline has been presented but of course i am looking forward to the match at the end of the day it is still aj styles versus samoa joe and yes i'm going to watch those two fight at the end of the match though who is going to be standing victorious with the WWE Championship? Because I feel like it has to be now for Joe. I felt that way at SummerSlam. I feel it even more so now. If Joe doesn't win the title here, Joe's just not getting it. Well, that's, that was kind of my only hesitation. I think the right call is AJ. I don't think it's the right time to, to end that run. I don't think, you know, just to prolong this program, I don't, I just don't want to see a, a title switch just for those reasons, but you are, you're 100% right there, Jargo. If not now for Joe, not only, you know, would it ever happen to win a championship, but even bottom line, what's actually next? Yeah. That's the worst part of it. Then what? This is another one of those matches I kind of feel like could steal the show if the booking will let them, but I'm terrified it's going to be a comedy match. Well, let me, let me ask you here. You know, we were just talking about Daniel Bryan and The Miz. They're going to be competing at the Super Show for a number one contender spot. Which program would interest you more late in 2018, early 2019? Would it be AJ Styles and Miz or Daniel Bryan and Samoa Joe? the program that interests me more is Brian and Joe, because I would take the story that you were telling and I would tell it backwards. I would have Brian win the title from Samoa Joe. I would have the Miz win the Royal rumble and challenge Daniel Bryan for the title at WrestleMania rather than doing it the other way around. You know, to me, I mean, to me, whichever one you got is the baby there should be chasing. And, and Miz is so good. I know how popular he is. People are coming around on him. And there has, you know, through fans are talking about how they would possibly like to see 
uh, the return of a face Miz. Last time it didn't go so well, I think it it would probably come off much better this time around. But but on that other side, you know, Daniel Bryan, he is so beloved. I mean, you know, short of going out there and like beheading babies, they're not going to boo him. You know what Miz needs? Miz needs a reminder of why he is the Miz. And uh, Jersey and I actually were talking about this last night, too, when it comes to Ric Flair. You know, that there were times when Ric Flair would, would be playing such a good heel that he would start to get over and people would start to naturally want to cheer Ric Flair because he was so freaking good. And what they would do is they would put Flair into some kind of a program with a baby face like a Ricky Steamboat, and suddenly it's Ric Flair and Ricky Steamboat together against two bad guys. And all of a sudden, there's three bad guys beating down Steamboat, and Flair comes out because you think he's going to help his friend, and instead, he joins in with him, and he kicks the shit out of Steamboat and puts the goddamn horsemen back together. Miz needs to put the horsemen back together. He needs to remind people why you hate the Miz because the Miz is getting over and it's going to turn him babyface if he's not careful. Sorry, well that said. was a tangent. Hey, no problem, man. Uh, New Day versus Rusev Day. I think this match could absolutely steal the show if they would give them time, but I'm terrified this is going to be a comedy match. Yeah, this is this is one. You know, I really don't even really want to talk so much about New Day. You, everyone knows how I feel about their act. Uh, it has been stale for so long. Obviously, they had to switch directions because of the injury to Eric Rowan. So they, they shifted towards New Day here. I'm, I'm more interested in Rusev Day, obviously. But I wonder, has the ship passed? Is, is the moment gone? It seems like if you were going to pull the trigger and give Rusev Day a tag team championship, it should have been back at Extreme Rules when they were one of the absolute hottest things going. You had arenas across the country uh, just blowing the roofs off with your with your Rusev Day chance. It was the number one T-shirt. He wasn't going to get any hotter then, and they still, still wouldn't put these guys over. I still think it would be a great moment to have Rusev Day capture those championships, but I just, will it have the same impact? Nope. I think more likely this is going to be the end of Rusev Day as Aiden English does something stupid. It costs them the match and Rusev beats the ever loving piss out of him. That's more so what I see happening in this match. And I guess it doesn't necessarily give away the finish here, but we do know that at Super Show, Rusev will be teaming up with the bar to take on the new day. Yeah. Yeah. That doesn't necessarily spoil the finish, but I could absolutely see Rusev just being done with Rusev day and wanting to go solo at this point. Well, I think, you know, that, that might, you know, kind of lean toward that direction. You know, I, they obviously could just have English always as a corner man, but you know, you're right. Maybe this is where Rusev just completely destroys destroys English and then you know we see he starts forming that alliance with the bar to gear up towards Super Show. Wait, Rusev and Sheamus and Cesaro? Is this the League of Nations? Hey man, uh Del Rio said he he wouldn't be rolling out a return. Oh god. Don't put me through that. Let's talk about Randy Orton and Jeff Hardy. Oh god. 
This is just as bad. Hell in a Cell, Randy Orton versus Jeff Hardy. Jeff Hardy is going to jump off of something stupid. He's going to do a swanton off the top of the Hell in a Cell. The question is, is he going to land it or is he going to miss it? That's basically the only speculation I have going into this match. I was going to say, you know, that's, that's why this thing is in the cell. I mean, everyone can see that. I mean, yes, it has been a pretty heated program. But there's a lot more attractive matches on this show that you think would be better fitting for the cell itself. The worst part is, though, Rick, this feud actually goes back to July 17th. This is the longest running program on this show. This should be the match that we are most invested in, but we're not. Why is that? Is it because it's Jeff Hardy and Randy Orton? Well, as I said, I would have liked to have seen this thing with maybe another stipulation. I think it's it's great to have on the card, and I know that's kind of uh, it's crazy to think that we're talking in in 2018 that Randy Orton versus Jeff Hardy is something nice to have on the show. Uh, it would have been great 10, 12 years ago. It's fun to have it here today. I think it's just because where it's being placed, where they're putting it in this cell. Like I said, everyone can clearly see that this is simply a setup for Hardy to pull off just some crazy ass stunt. Yeah, that's pretty much how I feel. Do you think he's going to land it or do you think he's going to miss it? I think he'll probably hit it and we're going to get the big airbag explosion. I think he is going to crash and burn and you're going to get the big airbag explosion. I think he misses the swanton off the top of the hell in the cell through a table and then Randy Orton puts him down. That's how I think this match is going to end. Or, you know, maybe, yeah, he, maybe he does miss this thing, man. Uh, I, actually, I, I do. I'm going to go that he misses. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to flop here, man. I'm going to say he misses it and gets stretchered out, and he goes on that, uh, that long rumored sabbatical. Yep, that's what I'm thinking as well. Okay, so those are all the matches on the card that actually interest me. These are all the matches that just kind of piss me off. Let's talk about Ronda Rousey. Oh, wait, wait. I can't talk about Ronda Rousey yet. He's been all worried about it, asking where it is. So let's throw it over to the Jersey Mike segment presented by Kleenex. Introducing new softer Kleenex tissues. Now in prettier packages. Sometimes a little change can make a big difference. Kleenex. Softer. Prettier. There you go, Jersey. Do you feel better now? It's back. All right. Damn, so I thought we finally had gotten rid of that. So Ronda Rousey versus Alexa Bliss. At SummerSlam, Ronda Rousey defeated Alexa Bliss in a bullshit match to win the Raw Women's Championship. On the August 27th episode of Raw, Bliss announced that she would be invoking her rematch clause at Hell in a Cell. Rick, I do not care about this match at all. Yeah, this is one. And, you know, Ronda has been great for WWE. You know, she's bringing a lot of attention you know, a lot of people, you know, they, they still try to get on her. Oh, you know, nope. she's given too much. I, I No, she is a great ambassador. She's bringing attention to WWE. I like, and I and I, I, I really believe, you know, that, that her heart, everything is into this thing. It's hard to knock her there, but you kind of booked yourself into a situation here where, you know, who could take her out? How's this thing going to play out here? I think we're going to probably be looking at essentially another squash. 
Yep, that's pretty much what I'm expecting, because that's what the last match was. If they were going to do this again here, they should have put Alexa Bliss over, or at least had Alexa Bliss retain. When Rousey was sitting in the ring, just sitting there waiting for Little Miss Bliss to do something, Alexa should have walked over, grabbed her title, and walked the fuck away, and just gotten counted well, out. She retains the title, and boom, you have a setup for another match at Hell in a Cell. Do you, do you feel that they need to protect Melissa in any way, especially now we know that she at Evolution will be taking on Trish? Trish? I don't know. Or is, it, or is it something that because you just write off and just move on with? The Trish Stratus thing drives me nuts, not because they did it, but because they did it so early. Like, does anybody even remember when Trish was on TV at this point? When you've had Shawn Michaels since then, you've had The Undertaker since then, you've had Mick Foley since then, and they're hyping a match that's almost a full month before the match at Evolution. Like, I, I feel like the Trish Stratus return has just been buried. Well, again, it's, you know, it's just fallen victim of so much going on. I understand why they announced it because, you know, they wanted to start getting that hype because the tickets were about to drop. You yeah. had to have something there. But, it, you know, again here, yeah, it's kind of an afterthought. So I'm thinking, you know, maybe they just bliss, you know, Ronda just mows through bliss. And then it's almost like, well, just forget about that. We're just going to hit a reset button. She's got this match with Trish. Now we're going to, we want you to focus on that. So unfortunate. Let's talk about your precious Shar Shar versus Becky, the badass lynch mob. Yeah, that's right. Becky, the dragon steampunk is gone and it's Becky, the badass lynch mob. Now at SummerSlam, Charlotte Flair defeated Becky Lynch and Carmella in a triple threat match to capture the women's SmackDown championship. After the match, Lynch turned heel and attacked Flair. In the following weeks, WWE thought, eh, maybe she's not a heel. Maybe let's pivot on that. Maybe let's edit that part out of the video that we released to the WWE.com where she actually rips on the fans. We're going to edit that out so that other people don't see it unless you actually watched SmackDown Live. I am so pissed off about this whole goddamn thing. And now, Lynch and Flair, they're confronting each other. They're attacking each other. And this week, we double down on the Lynch heel turn as she pops out of the crowd crowd disguised to attack charlotte flair clearly becky is the heel now i don't want to hear anybody trying to tell me no shades of gray bullshit she's clearly the heel now rick what the hell's going on with this well i was just gonna answer you think by any chance we try to get a we get a double turn here my god i would hope so but i don't think it's gonna happen well, i i ultimately think what we're gonna have here charlotte retains uh but it's gonna be some kind of Tom fuckery and we get a yeah, rematch at evolution. Sh- well, some sort of shenanigans are going to go down here to add, you know, to really add fuel to that fire within Becky, uh, where she feels, you know, that, that Charlotte has once again, robbed her of a moment. And it's simply based on because she is Charlotte Flair. I could maybe see somehow, you know, like the, the referee, um, makes a mess you know has a missed call somewhere in this match that ultimately cost becky they have to do something to keep that fire burning within her where she feels you know that that charlotte just continually is stealing her moment uh and we also we do know i think i think they've announced this match for a couple different shows i mean it was on the leaked evolution uh run 
And I also, I think this is also going in Australia. I didn't think either one of these girls was advertised for Australia, but it could very easily be added. And what they should do is they should cut that stupid Sasha and Bailey and Ivory versus the Riot Squad match and put Sasha and Bailey in that damn tag team women's championship match. What in the hell's the payoff to this whole Sasha and Bailey thing if it's not winning the tag titles? Well, let's say, well, uh, again, that was uh, a. A leaked rumor. Yeah, there is. So that. we're we're not certain that actually is going to be the the card for Evolution. I uh, hope they just, fix that. Just to touch base for those that you maybe got lost of what Jargo was talking about, but on that run, it looks like they are planning. It's going to be a four team to crown the inaugural women's tag team champs. I just got a wrong text message. You ever get a wrong text message? No. It wasn't somebody that called me wrong. They texted me wrong. My name is not Tom, and I do not have an eye appointment in DeWitt, Iowa today. Thank you very much. Uh, let's talk about Dolph Ziggler and Drew McIntyre taking on two-thirds of the Shield, Seth Rollins and Dean Ambrose, otherwise known as the guys who used to be over. So we have the show versus the guys who used to be over. On the September 3rd episode of Raw, Dolph Ziggler and Drew McIntyre defeated the B-team, Bo Dallas and Curtis Axel to win the Raw Tag Team Championships. The following week, a rematch between the two teams with Ziggler and McIntyre retaining the titles, and then a tag team match between Ziggler, McIntyre, Ambrose, and Rollins for the titles was scheduled for Hell in a Cell. Seth Rollins still the Intercontinental Champion because I've kind of forgotten. I, I was going to say, you know, so much for uh, the IC, you know, representing the red brand. For so long, you know, being uh, the, the the working man's championship. Hey, I will give them credit. At least when they put the graphic up for this match, they actually had the championship on on Seth. Uh, outside of that, we haven't actually seen the belt in what now two three weeks. Yeah, what do you do? Go all Tetsuya Naito on it? Well, hey, even you make mention that. Hey, we really haven't seen the Universal Championship. Jesus Christ! You know, it's just been more about these these groups as factions and anything else. Well, and more than anything, and I guess we can tie the, the Braun Strowman Roman Reigns match with this, because that's the other match that we're going to talk about here. They sacrificed their three hottest baby faces to try to get Roman Reigns over. When you look at their report card, how's that working for them? Well, I was going to say, you know, it's, it's all about the room, the Roman agenda, uh, as you pointed out last week, when they arrived back to the arena in the ambulance, or not the ambulance, in the uh, the paddy wagon, you know, Roman gets out of the driver's seat and immediately the arena goes to booze. And then when he uh, releases the the other hounds from the back, the place now pops. we get now we get the pop. So they at at any means, no matter what the cost, it is about getting Roman over again at anyone else's expense. Did you see a story out the other day where, uh, you know, we know Roman is now the top dog in merch. Well, at these live events, it is, it is literally like 75% shield related merchandise that's available. Why does that not surprise me? I mean, we did the math, the, the next four or five guys on that list 
between the five of them have as many shirt designs as Roman Reigns. Yeah, I think when we did the math, it was, I think it was 23 and 23. I would say it was like 20, 21, 23 items. Yeah, but it was um, AJ Styles. It was Elias. Um, I forget the other ones. Well, you had had AJ in there. You had Elias. You had the Usos was surprisingly in there. Uh, But, you know, they got they got some pretty catchy gear. Uh, I think the the New Day. Just uh, ridiculous, man. And there was another one. So between five, the next five, if you took all their merch and added it up, it equaled exactly the same amount is what Roman Reigns has available. Freaking nauseating. So what do you think? Are we going to throw a bone here to uh, Dean and Seth and the shield is going to run around with all the gold? Is that the plan? Hmm. Uh, you know what? I, I could see them going in that direction, wanting to have that image. You've got Seth there as a dual champion. You've got Roman, of course, in the top spot with Universal and Dean, you know, obviously representing the other side of the tag champs. I, I I don't want to. I don't love the idea by any means, but I definitely could see it happening. Or do we kind of go the other way? Does the show, or as I'm calling them, the Braun Show, does the Braun Show take all the gold? I mean, it, is there any snowball's chance in hell that Braun Strowman wins the championship of the universe from Roman Reigns a month after he finally slayed the Beast? I, I don't think he does. I don't think there's uh, any chance. Correct. Yeah, that road that it took Roman to get to this point, you're not gonna you're not gonna change gears and go in such a drastically different direction so fast with this thing. Uh, but you know, another side here, they've kind of you know Braun loses here. They kind of man, they've those money in the money in the bank briefcases have vanished very quickly this year. Yes, yes, they have. That's right. This is bronze cash in. Um, but here's the other thing that we have to look at, too. All right. So Ronda Rousey and Alexa Bliss. Ronda Rousey is going to retain. Charlotte Flair and Becky Lynch. I think we both expect Charlotte to retain. Dolph Ziggler and Drew McIntyre. If they retain and Roman Reigns retains, you mean to tell me there's no titles changing hands at this show? I, that's why, well, if anything's going to switch hands, I think. It, it's the if anything's going to switch, it's only going to be one championship, and it's going to be the tag championships. But again, you know, we're going back. We we talked about the lack of hype for Hell in a Cell with so much going on. I don't think this this show is has any really has anywhere near you know the priority of those other things. This oh yeah, thing, there's there's also that other championship that we forgot, the WWE Championship. They could put that on Joe. Yeah, yeah, you got there. I I just. I, if anything switches, I just I think it's going to be one championship, and it is going to be the tag championships if, if they go any route there. But overall, I don't think that they have much invested in this show. It's, hey, it, we already had it on the schedule. We didn't have all this other stuff planned at the time of this announcement. This is a show that if you miss it, you're not going to miss a whole lot. You know, as we started talking about this thing, I, I called it SummerSlam 2.0. Pretty much damn near every match on this on this card in some way or form is a repeat from SummerSlam. Does that mean that we're going to get the demon Finn Balor beating the crap out of constipated constable Baron Corbin again? Uh, I I don't know because, you know, Corbin is so busy, you know, he's got all that paperwork and he's got to answer phones and, and we can't put Finn Balor on two pay-per-views in a row. Of course. Yeah, that makes sense. 
That sounds about right. So Huckleberry, we made it through. We made it through. That actually wasn't too bad. We went through that pretty quick. Yes, yeah, we, we cruise right on through, uh, but that's kind of the theme today. We've got so much going on, so much to cover, and we're just rocking and rolling. So much content. So let's go ahead. Let's throw it over to the main event, Ring of Honor, Death Before Dishonor, with the man, Ring of Honor World Heavyweight Champion, Jay Lethal. We'll be right back. What's up, peeps, freaks, and geeks? Welcome back inside the locker room for this special edition of the Hitting the Marks Pro Wrestling Podcast. I'm here today joined alongside RBV, but today we've got a very special guest. Ladies and gentlemen, dare I say the biggest guest in the history of the show. Our guest today is the most successful Ring of Honor television champion in history, one of four men to ever hold the ROH championship more than once, the franchise of Ring of Honor, current Ring of Honor world champion, Jay Lethal. Jay, welcome to the show. I don't know if you're looking for a job and... uh Bobby Cruz does a great job of ring announcing, but with an intro like that, I mean, you, I've got to sign you up. You've got to be my ring announcer from now on. I, I position accepted. I, I, we've had Bobby on the show before. We're good friends. I actually had a great conversation with Bobby downstairs in the vendor room at Starcast. Uh, awesome. Look out. I think he might be trying to take his job. Well, there we go. There we go, Jargo. You've, you've got a future in it. My heart is pounding out of my chest right now. Uh, Mr. Lethal, to jump into some questions here for you. Uh, we, Let's do it. We know that you, you came up in a New Jersey independent scene uh, with Jersey All-Pro, and it was around the early 2000s. So, you know, the first question we ask all of our guests, you know, what was it that actually got you into this crazy game, this world of professional wrestling? Oh, man. I uh, To be honest, I think... My love for professional wrestling started uh, because both of my older brothers loved wrestling. They loved it. And I don't know if it's a case of the younger sibling always wanting to hang out with the older sibling or the younger sibling wanting to do whatever the older sibling does, but uh, I can remember my brothers wanting to watch wrestling and me wanting to sit right next to them and watch it as well. Um, and that's what really started it. But somewhere along the way, uh, my love for professional wrestling kept growing while theirs kind of diminished a little bit. Um, and that would lead me to see a wrestler by the name of the Macho Man Randy Savage, uh, who I fell in love with. Um, I remember getting in trouble uh, for wrestling around the house when my mom would tell me to stop. stop. Uh, but yeah, I would say that, that that is probably the reason why I got into wrestling in the first place is because my older brothers, uh, they, man, they loved wrestling. Even my grandpa loved wrestling and he'd wrestle with my older brother sometimes. Um, and then you fast forward a little bit and I, like you said, I started with Jersey all pro wrestling. Um, and the, the way that happened was MTV tough enough was big at the time. Um, and that was, you know, they get a group of people in a house and one by one people are eliminated and until there's one person left. Well, Jersey all pro didn't have the budget to put people in a house and they didn't have the time frame that they had. 
So they had a contest that lasted about six hours, maybe five hours. It was felt like a whole entire day. Um, and whoever won the contest would be trained uh, as a professional wrestler. And I was one of the winners of that contest. And that's how it all started for me. And then uh, it just one thing happened after another. Uh, doors kept getting open for me. Uh, not without hard work, of course. But, uh, yeah, it all started because my brothers loved wrestling and I wanted to hang out with them. Well, that, is, that is very cool. Very cool story. You know, you know, since you since you broke into the business, of course, independent, you know, the independent scene has changed, you know, so much. And we've kind of seen that all accumulating at all in. You know, aside from the Internet itself, what do you see as the biggest change in independent wrestling uh, during your travels around the world? Uh, I would say that uh, the biggest change is you, you got people coming far and wide. Um, from all over the world to see an independent show. No, when I started, only the locals and maybe a few people from neighboring states would come to see um, possibly their favorite indie promotion. But never uh, back then did well. It wasn't known to me that people were taking flights uh, to see their favorite indie promotion. That that just didn't happen back then. But now the talent. Uh, of the people on the Indies and the, the level of, of competitiveness and the, the shows that are being put on these amazing shows. It's making people want to catch a flight from the East coast to the West coast to see their favorite indie promotion. So uh, the, the talent on the Indies is unreal on, and it makes people want to get out to go see them. So that's probably the biggest change uh, that I've seen. Like I said, you know, furthering that at all in, they sold out more than 10,000 seat arena. Um, and most people came from all over the world. Some of them were from, not even from this country. Um, so yeah, that's the biggest change for me. When I first started only people in that town and that city, maybe neighboring cities, dare I say neighboring states, people would come out to see one particular promotion, but now they'll, they'll take a flight because, the guys on the shows and the shows that are being put on are so amazing. Another huge show that's on the horizon that you have to be eyeballing a bit as the franchise and current reigning champion in Ring of Honor is April 6th, 2019. Madison Square Garden sold out in a matter of minutes after the event went on sale. As someone who's been with ROH for years now, recognized as the franchise, that date has to mean something very, very special to you. Talk a little bit about what that night is going to mean, not only to yourself, but Ring of Honor as a whole. It means a hell of a lot to me. Um, one of the things that stands out in the front of my head is uh, I am a great friend. I have a great friend uh, in the old owner of Ring of Honor. His name is Carrie Silken. Um, and he kept the company alive for a long time, um, through tough times, through good times. Um, so part of me, you know, when I first, first came to ring of honor, it was owned by Kerry Silken. Like I said, a great friend of mine. And now to see that we're about to be in Madison square garden, it, it just warms my heart. Um, I, I couldn't be happier, uh, 
that's just one instance. Another instance is, you know, growing up as a wrestling fan, all the wrestlers from my generation anyway thought or were under the impression that the only way to wrestle in Madison Square Garden is to work for the WWE. Um, well, it would have appeared that way. Um, this is a, it's a amazing thing, a history making thing that's about to happen. Um, where another show and uh, the event is already sold out as, as uh, from what I've heard, um, it's about to run in Madison square garden. It's, it's unbelievable knowing where we came from in a small, uh, building called the Murphy rec center in, in Pennsylvania, and this building had zero air condition. In fact, when, I, when we would run this building, my parents would beg me not to do the building because they didn't want to sit in the unair conditioned hot <laughs> venue in the summertime. Uh, and I can remember that, and I look back on those moments, and I can just smile on uh, knowing that we're about to have a show, a sold-out show in Madison Square Garden. It's unreal. It's unreal. One of the aspects of your career that I don't think is talked about nearly enough is that you are also training the next generation of professional wrestlers. You work with Armada Pro based out of Tampa Bay, Florida, and they are not only a training facility, but they are also performing shows on what seems to be now a monthly basis. Tell us a little bit about that project right. and what's the biggest thing that you're noticing in the next generation of professional wrestlers. Well, I just, I love, and I don't claim to have all the answers, but I love teaching. Um, and to some aspect, I think that if I was some great mathematician or a carpenter, I would be teaching those trades as well as something about uh, someone coming to me, knowing nothing about what I'm about to show them and then seeing the progression and then learning more and more. Uh, there's something about that to me that I really love. Uh, it just so happens that I'm a professional wrestler, so that's uh, what I'm showing. Um, and yeah, I have a school in Tampa, Florida, and uh, Armada Pro is, and the, the person who helps me run it, I don't really think he likes when I say this, but uh, it's a glorified student show. It is a basis for this, it is combined and paired and partnered with the training facility school. So once the wrestler's are done training or at a level uh, adequate enough to have a professional wrestling match, then they have these shows um, that they can perform on to get better. You know, when you become a professional wrestler, one of the hardest things is getting booked on wrestling shows. Like they don't know you, they don't know what you can do. Uh, you don't have a resume. You can't send the matches. Um, so I, it just works hand in hand. It goes really well um, because it gives them a start um, they get to build a resume. They get to have some matches where they can record them and send them to a promoter to try and get on other shows. Um, but yeah, we try to run those shows as much as we can because the students need as much practice as they can. Um, we can all use the practice uh, because in wrestling, you never stop learning. I'm still learning things to this day. Um, but yeah, I love, I love wrestling. Thanks for mentioning the school, by the way. No problem. No problem at all. Um, I, I'm sure you don't remember this, but we actually met uh -oh. very briefly at StarCast. My wife had went in to use the restroom, and I turned to my right and up the stairs 
comes Jay Lethal, and you looked petrified. I mean, I, I walked over and asked you if you needed a hand, and you simply looked at me, surrounded by thousands of fans, and you asked me, how do I get out of here, man? That may have been my favorite moment of the entire weekend. Describe your experience at StarCast and All In. What did you think of the environment? I think I remember that. I think I was... Was it, did I say that on the stairway or after I got off the stairway? It was like right after you got off the stairway, you like stepped off and just right. froze. Okay. So, yeah. So Lanny was on the stairway. I remember that. He was on the other side because uh, there was a railing in the middle. Lanny was on the other side talking to some people and we were supposed to be gone a long time ago. I think we had stayed there two hours longer than we were supposed to. <laughs> um and I was trying to get back to my hotel to meet up because uh, I had dinner reservations uh, with a couple friends. But uh, yeah, what a what a weekend that was! It was amazing. Um, nothing short of amazing, history making event. Uh, man, I it it is going to be hard to duplicate um, what they did if they ever try to duplicate it again. I have no idea if they're going to or not, but. It's going to be tough if they ever try to, I can say that. What, a, what an event. What an event. And hopefully we got the uh, the ball rolling with the momentum there, you know, because uh, Ring of Honor is rolling right into Las Vegas in a few weeks um, for Death Before Dishonor. So hopefully that, that feeling that was in the air and all in, hopefully it's still there and it's, it's transferring over to our pay-per-view uh, on Friday which I believe is the 28th in Las Vegas. You betcha. We're going to talk about that show here in just a second. I wanted to ask you about a couple of your uh, recent matches here. Of course, at All In at the Sears Center, you faced off with the over-the-budget Battle Royal winner, a man who wasn't even booked for the show, Flip Gordon. Obviously, with him not even being on the show, you, you couldn't have possibly been prepared for a Flip Gordon match. What's your take on Flip and uh, the matchup at All In? Well, I couldn't have been prepared for Flip, but he couldn't have been prepared for Machismo. That was my next question, uh, actually. The return of Black Machismo. Flip, uh, Flip Gordon is amazing. Um he hasn't been wrestling for that long, which is the scary part. Uh, he's going to be amazing. He's the future. He's amazing now. He, he's going to be even better um, in a few years. Or I mean, he gets better and better each day, so he's better today than he was yesterday. Um, it's terrifying. It's just terrifying. And he's a good friend of mine, um, very great person in the, in the locker room. Man, he's, he's amazing. I can't say enough uh, good things about him. Um, and that show was stacked from top to bottom. So like, how do you go out there and try to out wrestle or have a better match than the best wrestlers in the world? Cause that's what everybody on that show, uh, dons the label of being one of the best wrestlers in the world. It was unreal. Um, which is why I, or we thought it would be a good idea to do, um, the machismo thing. I was like, uh, I, I don't think I'm going to try and out wrestle or have a better match than every single person on the show. Let's do a little something different. What can, what is there something that only I could bring to the table? Uh, so I called up Lanny Paco and 
uh, we said, let's do it. How did you originally meet Mr. Poffo? I had known Lanny. I've known Lanny for a, a while now. Um, no oh man, it's been years. Lenny's so good with dates. He'd probably had to be able to tell you the exact date we talked and met. Um, but I, I've, I've known him for a while. Um, and we put this video up where he came to my house <laughs> and he, he knew where my house was. A brother from another. Pretty funny. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I've, I've known Lanny for a long time. Um, he actually got me to talk to the Macho Man Randy Savage. Uh, I got to talk to him three times on the phone because of Lanny. Also because of a friend of ours, Ed Schumann, uh, who passed away. But uh, yeah, I've known Lanny for years. I, I think Rick and I, we both love the match between Black Machismo and Flip, but we would love to see a rematch between Cerebral Jay Lethal and Flip Gordon. Is that a rematch that possibly we could be expecting anytime soon? I'm sure. I'm sure. I'm sure uh, Flip impressed Ring of Honor as like he always does. Uh, and both Flip and I being in Ring of Honor, uh, we've already stepped into the ring one time before that. Um, so it is inevitable. Um, last time we wrestled, though, I wasn't the world champion. So uh, hopefully on Ring of Honor TV or at a Ring of Honor pay-per-view, we can have me versus Flip uh, for the world championship. Jay, I wanted to ask you about another of your recent matches and more so a series of matches with friend of the show, Jonathan Gresham. You two have had a three epic encounters now between Honor Reign Supreme, Masters of the Craft, and most recently at Center Stage in Atlanta, a 30-minute Ironman match that actually needed sudden death overtime. Tell us a little bit about this incredible rivalry you two have had over the last seven months or so, and do you still view Mr. Gresham as a top contender to the ROH championship? I do. I do. I do. I can't say that enough. Jonathan Gresham is probably the most technically sound wrestler I've ever been in the ring with. Um, I just love his style of wrestling so much. Man, it really brings out the best uh, in me. That's what he does. He brings out the best in me. He makes me want to up my technical wrestling game. Um, and a, like I said, an, another friend of mine, a uh, great guy in the locker room. Uh, he never, you, you, you've got nothing bad to say about him. I, I couldn't, if I tried, um, and hopefully this opened a lot of people's eyes to what Jonathan Gresham is capable of and what Jonathan Gresham can do. And, uh, hopefully I get to wrestle Jonathan Gresham at least 10 to 15 more times. Uh, that's how much I love it. Um, yeah, like I said, I think he's probably the most technically sound wrestler, not only that I've ever been in the ring with, but probably that I know. There's a lot of contenders out there currently for the championship. One I wanted to ask you about specifically is Matt Taven. Obviously, Mr. Taven and his kingdom have been a thorn in your side before. But after this fatal four-way, when you won the championship, Taven did have a visual three-count on then-champion Dalton Castle. And now he's walking around with a championship in a bag, claiming to be the real Ring of Honor world champion, though he hasn't actually shown us the title. You two seem to be destined for yet another collision. What's your thoughts at this time on Matt Taven and his kingdom? 
I, I don't understand the conspiracy uh, that Matt Taven is talking about. Although, I mean, if you look hard enough and you believe and you will it with your mind, you can find a conspiracy in ev- everything. Um, I mean, right now the sun is shining in Florida, but it's probably not shining in Baltimore or, well, it may be shining in Baltimore, but it's definitely not shining in the Carolinas. Um, and I'm sure that's a conspiracy right there. If you look hard enough and you want to see a conspiracy, you can see one. Uh, Matt Taven, I believe you're right. I believe we are destined um, to step into the ring with each other eventually, sometime soon, because Matt Taven, he's racking up wins. He's ranked pretty highly, and I wouldn't mind stepping into the ring with him. Um, we've done it before. I'll do it again. And, uh, yeah, I really don't get what Matt Taven is so mad at the world about. Um, but also, yeah, like you said, he's carrying around a belt and a bag. I would never carry around, uh, my prestigious belt in a bag. I want it to be shown. So I'm interested to see what's in that bag. Cause he says it's the world championship, the real world championship, which sounds familiar. Um, but we'll see after tonight. It may be his hair. Are you going to watch that match tonight at the CMLL 85th anniversary? I am, I am definitely tuning into that one. Currently, of course, your attention has to be on Death Before Dishonor, which will be coming to us live from Las Vegas, Nevada, Friday, September 28th. This show will be streaming live on Honor Club, and if you are in the area, few select tickets still available. Please visit ROHWrestling.com for more details on how to become an Honor Club member or to get tickets. Jay, you have quite a matchup on your hands, as it seems you are scheduled to be taking on the Aerial Assassin. Chaos member Will Ospreay, we saw you in the recent matchup with Flip Gordon and the recent matchup with Jonathan Gresham. Ospreay, kind of a hybrid of these two. What are your thoughts on, and how is preparation going for Mr. Ospreay? Ospreay is the best high flyer um, that I know. He's probably the best high flyer in wrestling currently right now um to say my work is cut out for me uh is an understatement but uh i i, I am a big fan of will osprey I, I love everything that he does i could only dream about doing some of the things that he does uh and hopefully he would say the same thing about me um especially since i'm the ring of honor world champion um and hopefully he would be dreaming about that but Hopefully it stays just a dream, you know. I plan on walking in and out of Las Vegas as still the Ring of Honor World Champion. I love going to Vegas. I'm a gambling man. Um, a lot of my friends know that. So it'd be only fitting that I put the World Championship up on the line in Las Vegas. Um, but yeah, uh, it, it just should be nothing short of amazing. Look at all the other matches on the card, too. It's Bullet Club versus Chaos. Uh, you got Chris Sabin versus Punishment Martinez for the television championship. Every belt is on the line, I believe. The women's championship is on the line. The Women of Honor World Championship. Sumi is wrestling to Neil Dashwood. Jushin Thunder Liger is on the show. Uh, all the belts are on the line. The tag titles on the line, I believe, too. The Briscoes versus The Addiction. Um, it should be a hell of a show in Las Vegas. I can't wait. 
We're looking forward to Death Before Dishonor, September 28th, live on Honor Club. Jay, I'd like to thank you very much for taking time out of your incredibly busy schedule to talk with us. No worries. Why don't you plug your social media, pro wrestling tees, tell the peeps, the freaks, the geeks how to get in touch with you. Oh, yeah. This is the age of social media. So everybody and their mom has a .com and a Facebook and a Twitter and an Instagram all of mine can be found using the lethal J. So that's spelled out T H E L E T H A L J A Y. So it's the lethal J.com. The Twitter handle is the lethal J. The Instagram is the lethal J. Uh, everything, the lethal J. Um, but yeah, that's, uh, that's how you can find me. I'm mostly available on Twitter and Instagram. If you want to reach out to me. Thanks so much, Jay, and best of luck in Las Vegas. Mr. Mr. Lethal, Mr. Lethal, Rick Vickery, just here one more time. Thank you so much. I, I, I mean the pun here. This truly was an interview of honor. Oh, <laughs> thank you very much. Rick, that was awesome, and that that was that was incredible. Uh, as you know, as we've been hyping, probably one of the biggest moments for this show. Not probably that was the biggest moment for the show. The world freaking champ. That was a fun interview. Fun interview. Best wishes to Jay Lethal down there in Las Vegas, and best of luck to Matt Taven tonight in Mexico. But Rick, we've got one other show that we've got to talk about here. A new show of yours that dropped on the Hitting the Marks feed, and we're going to replay the interview here. Why don't you tell us what we're going to hear here? Yeah, I'm excited that you know we're going to be able to share this interview here, actually on the Hitting the Marks Pro Wrestling Podcast. But you know, I've recently got involved with a, a little promotion in uh, based out of Southern Ohio, the Southern Ohio area there, um, or Indiana area. It's actually called Battle on the Border. It's because they host their shows right there on the border, the two venues that they run. Literally, if you go from one to the other, you leave the state of Ohio, you go into Indiana. It's right there. Uh, The owner, promoter, Mr. Denim Blevins, uh, uh, just truly a a great passion for for all of sport. Uh, He's he's done so much in that industry from, you know, from from actually participating in the different in different sports to running leagues, to refereeing, to overseeing entire sports complexes, but professional wrestling, uh, always, he always had a great passion for it. Something he wanted to dive into. So it wasn't so long ago. He started promoting shows. Uh, they run every couple months coming up on Saturday, September 22nd from the VFW in Harrison, Ohio. They are going to be running their eighth installment. It is called Armageddon. They've, they've got some big stars coming in, uh, former NWA world champion, uh, Rob Conway. They got, a, a great throwback name, one of the, the biggest enforcers, uh, kind of you know doing the dirty work for some of the biggest names in the, ever in the business. Mister Hughes, he's going to be there. Uh, they're they're running, they're starting their tag team championship tournament. They're going to crown their first ever women's champion inside of a steel cage. They've got a second steel cage match on that show for their world champion for their heavyweight championship. Really, just a great promotion. I'm happy to be working with them. So what we got here in this interview, uh, we're going to be, it's me talking with, with Mr. Blevins and, 
and we hope that we can drum up a little interest in Battle on the Border Pro Wrestling. Sounds good. Let's throw it over to the interview, and we'll be right back. Battle on the Border Brigade members, this is Rick Vickery coming at you with a very special exclusive sit-down interview with Battle on the Border owner, operator, and promoter. Of course, I'm talking about the one and only Mr. Denim Blevins. Mr. Blevins, welcome to the BOTB Countdown to Armageddon podcast special. Thanks, Rick. Glad to have you uh, on here and uh, glad to promote the show uh, Battle on the Border 8 Armageddon for September 22nd. Uh, I'm ready for any questions. You know, Mr. Blevins, before we jump into the pro wrestling talk, you know, I wanted to touch base with you regarding another passion of yours, and that being softball. Uh, I know recently Cincinnati held its Metro Championship Tournament, and it's my understanding uh, that the Battle on the Border team, they had a pretty interesting run. Can you tell us a little bit about that experience? Yeah, so uh, with our Battle on the Border wrestling, we, we like to try to be involved with the community and uh, network as many ways as we can. So we actually have a softball team called the BOTB Brigade. Uh, gets our name out there, has our uh, logo and all that good stuff out there for a, a different group of athletes and people that might not be exposed otherwise. Um, our team uh, actually had a really good uh, tournament. We went 4-0 and uh, won, so 16-team tournament, first place. Uh, got us a free Metro tournament for next year. Uh, got some free shirts for everybody on the team and uh, some really good exposure for Battle on the Border. Well, I was going to say, you know, not to brag myself, I'm a, I'm a former uh, Cincinnati Metro winner. Uh, I know I know how incredible of an achievement that is. But I really like what you said there. You know, you put the name right there on the team. You know, the battle on the border is being represented. That's got to be a tremendous marketing tool, you know, just on, you know, the hundreds of teams that are com- competing in the Metro itself and then the thousands of fans that are seeing the logo and, you know, possibly asking questions. You know, what is this about? You know, how can we get involved? Where is this taking place? That's got to be a tremendous marketing tool for you. Yes, it is. Uh, that, that's one of my strategies, man. I always try to be innovative and like stay ahead of the curve and do things that are different. And uh, one of my strategies was that there's a lot of people out here that would like wrestling and like really appreciate it, understand it, but they really don't know when and where to catch it or what's going on with it on an independent level. They're just not knowledgeable enough. They're basically ignorant to the situation. So um, they know about WWE and all that, uh, but they just haven't been exposed to this. So my strategy is to involve as many other athletes as I can. So, you know, all, all these guys that are out there playing softball, doing these other type of things, they have kids and stuff. Wrestling would likely be right up their alley considering it's another sport. They just don't know about it. So I'm, I'm trying to tap into that database of other athletes in the greater Cincinnati area that are unaware and get their families involved. Well, you know, to really jump into, you know, the wrestling aspect of, of our conversation here, we do know Saturday, September 22nd, that is the date set for Battle on the Border 8. Uh, of course, this show is going to take place at the VFW in beautiful Harrison, Ohio. Uh, but, you know, right now, I, I kind of want to go all the way back to the beginning. Uh, what inspired uh, and or what, what fueled the drive to create uh, the Battle on the Border promotion? Okay, so, so what fueled that was that uh, I've, I've always been like a really competitive guy. I've always had a lot of hunger. And. You know, I'm, I'm 36 now. At that time, I was 33, pushing 34. And basically, I've done everything in sports that I've wanted to. You know, I've done the softball and the metros and traveled all over the country. Baseball, I've traveled all over. Uh, basketball, 
And I officiate all three of those. I officiated for a professional uh, Frisbee league called the American Ultimate Disc League uh, with teams from other countries and stuff. I've done karate, jiu-jitsu, volleyball, all that kind of stuff. And I had one passion that I'd never tapped into, and that was professional wrestling. And the facility that I was uh, working at at the time, uh, MVP Sports, they already had me running their softball and their basketball leagues there. So I was like the director as well as the official. And and I also played, so I was in, invested on all levels. Uh, so I got the idea, hey, a long time ago, I know that uh, wrestling used to be here at this facility, and that's something that I really have a passion for. So uh, what about bringing it back? And then they told me that was good. I could uh, be in charge of that as well, which would be a third sport there. Um, so at that point I started reaching out to, uh, some people that I knew and building from the ground up. Well, as you were saying, uh, before we actually started recording here, it had been some time since professional wrestling had actually been a mainstay or had a steady presence in the area you're running there. And that would be, you know, Harrison, West Harrison at Ohio, Indiana, a little bit in Kentucky. I mean, that, that's such a great draw in that area. It's been a while. Yeah, so uh, my understanding is no one had been there since 2011. Uh, we started running there 2016, so uh, five years of no wrestling. And to me, it's a great wrestling town. Cause I, I remember how it was when I was a kid, and then I also knew of uh, the activity in some of the other sports that I was involved with, like our three-on-three basketball leagues and our softball leagues and stuff. And I saw a database of people that I thought would attend this type of thing and be excited about it. And I wanted to kind of contribute something to the community that's different and fresh. Uh, Cause that's one of the most rewarding aspects of promoting is to see these kids be happy and just see people able to do something they normally otherwise wouldn't and enjoy it. Well, you so say you talk about the positives there. I mean, you know, we've, you've brought in some, some big stars, uh, big draws. You've had some great houses. What have been some of maybe the challenges that you've faced in, in trying to reestablish uh, professional wrestling in the area? All right. So uh, there's been quite a few uh, challenges. Some of them can be, you know, there's always going to be people that don't want to see you succeed. So I wouldn't like name drop or anything, but you're always going to have people that really trying to hold you down a little bit. So you got to work through that. I, I use that as like motivation. Basically, it's obviously not going to work. Um, another thing is like managing egos. Um, you know, a lot of people, especially if they've been around for a long time and, um, you know, they've been here, done that, you know, they're going to have a lot of opinions and, and be used to being able to call the shots. And, you know, I'm a believer that there can't be uh, too many chiefs and not enough Indians. So basically I'm going to have to make some tough calls and, and, and that happens pretty often. Um, so there's a lot of different ways you got egos in the locker room. Um, and then like, a bunch of small parts of the show just piecing it together. You know, you think about our crew, our staff for the show is around 75 people, and that includes, you know, wrestlers, managers, referees, ring girls, announcers, commentary, ring crew, security, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So networking all of them, getting them on the same page can definitely be a challenge, but uh, it's, it's a challenge that I like, the challenge that I'm up to, and it's, uh, a challenge that I plan to get better and better on dominating. Well, I will say, you know, uh, Battle on the Border number seven was my first experience working with your crew. Uh, and just to, you know, to compliment everyone on it, it just seems it, it really was a team atmosphere. I was like new to the experience. No one treated me as an outsider or anything like that. You know, open arms, welcome you in. Everybody seemed dedicated uh, to reaching the goal and putting on a successful event. And I would have to say, just from my viewpoint, uh, it was one of the better independent shows that I've been to. 
Well, thank you very much. I appreciate that. that that's the standard we hold ourselves to at Battle on the Border. Uh, that was another thing when I started out. Is like I'm, I'm not going to run uh, wrestling shows just to be just another wrestling show. It's going to have to be something special. So every time you come to Battle on the Border, you're getting something special. Like this show, you got two cage matches. You got our first ever women's champion. Uh, you got... You know, Mr. Hughes, who's a legendary trainer from Atlanta, coming up and doing a seminar. You know, he fought The Undertaker. So, obviously, you're going to get some knowledge there. You got guys like Conway, former NWA champion. Guys like Knockout, who's on the rise and been on NXT and WWE. So, not just another show. Like, I'm building this to be something special. And then, even beyond special, even one thing in my life that's always been before sports for me is my family. So I try to make battle on the border into a big family. So that's why I call it the BOTB brigade. Uh, my, I put it this way. My mom works one of the doors for me. Uh, my dad has uh, helped out and played like Santa Claus for Christmas chaos. Uh, my brother helps out with Johnny knockouts flight. My sister sells raffle tickets. My cousins are there. My best friends are there. Um, basically it's a big family atmosphere where I want it to be inclusive because in my eyes, wrestling fans are like a niche thing. So like if you go out and meet a hundred people, maybe only five of them actually follow or, or know about pro wrestling. So to me, amongst that small niche, you shouldn't fight and feud and, and try to cut each other out. Like you should come together and try to grow. So that's what I'm trying to do is like build a big team and just knock one out of the park. Well, I would say, you know, just to kind of repeat what you said there, just so that, you know, our listeners, they get the full grasp of how big this thing is going to be. You know, we're talking battle on the border eight. We have legendary names such as Rob Conway, Mr. Hughes. They're both on the card. Uh, we also have contracts on the line, open challenges. As you said, the tag team tournament gets underway. And then, you know, as you had mentioned there, topping it all off two championship cage matches. I mean, this is going to be the biggest event, you know, event that you've had to date. Can you speak a little more to what the fans exactly can expect from the experience? Uh, so the fans can expect to get, in my opinion, more bang for their bucks than they're going to get at a wrestling show almost anywhere that you're going to find. Uh, you can get in the, in the doors here as low as $10.00. Uh, you're going to get, right now we've got it booked at 11 matches, so you're paying less than a dollar a match, and some of these matches are including, you know, people from television, uh, men, women, we have 500 pounders, we have seven footers, I mean, very, very diversified roster, so you're going to get a little bit of everything, like we, we try to put on a, a variety show, so, you know, then you're going to have a little bit of uh, comedy, a little bit of humor, you're going to have some high-flying guys, you're going to have some technical mat wrestling. You're going to have some brawlers. You're going to have a, cage, a couple cage matches, a hardcore match. So basically, there should be something there that everybody likes. And, and we also even have like the vendors, like the Kona Ice Truck for the kids. And uh, we got merchandise there. They can go buy a shirt from their favorite wrestler. They can buy a DVD of past shows and catch up on things. So basically just trying to make it a big inclusive atmosphere where there's something for everybody well i know the position of power you're in i hate to put you on the spot but by hell what kind of reporter would be if i if i didn't ask the tough questions here out of, okay. out of this incredible lineup that you've got stacked for battle on the border eight which match maybe are you looking forward to the most and which one do you think or maybe just an actual individual uh, performer or a team that could actually steal this show Okay, so for me, I, I think this answer might sound a little generic. It's probably going to be the more popular pick, but 
I feel like the uh, main event hardcore cage match with Hooks and Johnny Knockout is going to be off the chain. The reason I say that is because both of these guys pour their heart and their soul into battle on the border. They never miss a show. Both of these guys are on tremendous winning streaks. Both of these guys want to be the champion, and both of these guys do not mind bleeding. So I, I can almost guarantee that's going to be a rowdy, rowdy uh, situation with those guys locked inside of a cage. They're allowed to have anything in there that's not fire or glass. So we're talking kendo sticks, tables, garbage cans, staplers, uh, barbed wire bats, et cetera, et cetera. And I, I just think that those two guys are extremely game for that, and they're the right two guys. And that they're actually excited about that. Like, you're not going to find a lot of people that are truly excited to get in there and bash each other with that kind of stuff. And I think that these two guys are both crazy enough to do that. Um now, if I was going to say one to steal the show, I think the co-main, the, the first time ever having the women uh, going for a belt, like, you know, Heather Owens is wrapping down her career, and I think this would be a huge notch for her before she's out to be the inaugural champion. And you got someone like Jocelyn Navarro, she's 22 years old, and, uh, you know, she's coming after Heather Owens. She's, she wants that spot, basically. She wants to take her out. So a lot on the line there, and I think that they're both going to bring that A-game as well. Excellent, excellent, sir. Well, Mr. Blevins, I just say you've done an incredible job building Battle on the Border to the point where, to the you know to the point where it is today. Uh, but I know those faithful fans out there; they want to know what's in store for the future of BOTB. I mean, can you let us in on on any plans? You know, as you build towards uh, you know show number nine and even the big milestones such as as show ten. Uh, any pan, you know, plans for pop- possible expansion or other superstars that might be joining the ranks? Man, those are some good questions. All right, so all that stuff is true. Everything you just said there is true. Uh, Battle on the Border 9 is in December, Christmas Chaos. Uh, Santa's going to be there. That'll be crazy. Last year for that show, we had 315 people, so we're expecting to beat that in December. Um, as far as, like, growing, our Battle on the Border 10, yes, Battle on the Border 10 uh, is a very special number, and we think that's going to be a tremendous turnout. I, just to get to that number is a great accomplishment, and we're not going to go there and just, like, limp in. We're going to go there uh, full steam ahead. So definitely excited for that. As far as the expansion stuff, uh, basically I'm that guy that wants to uh, never put the cart before the horse. So I basically want to see us succeed to the point where we can uh, naturally and organically expand without me trying to force it to the point where we go out of business like other people do, try to do too much too soon. That being said, we've established at this point that our four linchpin shows per year in Harrison are going to succeed, and they're going to stay. And that's Night of Champions, Legends and All-Stars, Armageddon, and Christmas Chaos. So those four are locked in in that community. Now, this past week even, I've been uh, contacted by a couple different places to bring in some new stuff. So I don't want to say yet, but absolutely there's a couple towns and it's ironic that you say that we, we've talked within the last week about going to uh, some new areas. So definitely looking to get bigger, not smaller. Well, I so, say, you know, that's some, some very exciting news on the horizon. Right, right. It's just, can't, can't leak it all out there, but definitely some things being worked on right now. There's meetings, uh, there's stuff like that happening uh, behind the scenes this past week. Well, I can honestly say in my short time being involved with Battle on a Border Pro Wrestling, I certainly recognize something very special. Uh, Mr. Blevins, please let the listeners know where they can find out more about Battle on the Border 8, how they can help spread the word, and most importantly, how they can purchase those tickets. 
All right, so uh, the show is September 22nd, Battle on the Border 8, Armageddon. <clears throat> you can contact me at Denim Blevins on Facebook to get those. Uh, you can actually go and get them at the VFW in Harrison. Um, if you look me up on Facebook, we also have an Eventbrite, so you can buy them online in that way. That's only for the general admission tickets, though. Um, and you can also get them at, uh, uh, look us up on Facebook at Battle on the Border Pro Wrestling. We got about 2,000 people following on there. That's where all the updates, all the videos, et cetera. Are. So yeah, that's basically it. Uh, my phone number is 812-655-8365. You can get them from me on PayPal. So you can do the Eventbrite, the VFW, myself, or PayPal. I say, in, in addition to buying up those tickets, make sure you're going to social media and help spread the word uh, about this incredible. Share, event. share, share. Yeah, you know, we're we're under two weeks away. Uh, the countdown is on the Armageddon. Thank you again, Mr. Blevins. Uh, it has been incredible speaking with you. Now I'm going to kick it back to myself and Robin Nelson for the remainder of the BOTB countdown to Armageddon podcast special. Thank you. Well done, Huckleberry. Well done. I enjoyed that interview. That was your first solo interview. I'm very, very proud of you. Why, thank you. I, I, I took notes from the best. Now quit breathing into your microphone and we'll be all right. We'll be all right. Huckleberry, anything else that you wanted to talk about on season two, episode 36? Man, you know, as you said at the very top, this this was the biggest and best Hitting the Marks Pro Wrestling Podcast that we've ever had. It, it was a lot of fun. It has been a hectic, hectic morning. I'm ready to, to get out of this studio. I got to run down the hallway because uh, we're about ready to drop here in about 45 minutes. We're going to be dropping the weekend run-in. And then I think it's going to be time for an ice cold beer. I've got to get out of here too, because I've got to go watch impact wrestling so I can break it down with big Ray over at hackerhameen.podbean.com early Saturday morning. So I guess that's going to wrap things up for season two, episode 36. Thanks for listening. And if you haven't already, please hit that subscribe button. Then if you would be so kind, visit all of our friends over at the roar network at the gorilla position.com. And of course, don't miss us in the locker room this Monday at hackerhameen.podbean.com. Of course, until then you can find the show on Twitter at HTMPWPod on Facebook at hitting the marks, email us at hitting the marks at gmail.com. As always, you can find me across all social media platforms at not jargo huckleberry how do the peeps the freaks and the geeks find you as always you can uh, you can check me out on social media at the real rbv and as you were kind of hyping you got you've got a little project with big ray going on later this evening for the impact attack well ladies and gentlemen i'm gonna be hooking up with big ray i, I guess we're tentatively planning on, we're going to be going live before Hell in a Cell to break down that show again for you. That's going to be over on one wrestling video on YouTube. So join us over there. Yeah, I got a feeling by the time we get there, I'm going to be kind of, uh, I don't know, a little long-winded on, you know, talking about Hell in a Cell. So we're going to need, we're going to need all the great listeners to join us over there in the live chat uh, to help, you know, really, you know, 
kind of that final stretch spark up some interest in this show. Get me going there. And then, as always, man, you know, all of our great shows, so much great content going on, man. I, just after this show, my head's spinning. Rick, there's another one. There's another one. I forgot to tell you, Monday in the locker room over at hackerhameen.podbean.com, Big Ray's going to be there, too. So I'm going to do a show with Ray, and then you're going to do a show with Ray, and then we're all going to do a show with Ray. Oh, man. That's a reference to the movie The Craft, if you didn't get that. I I didn't. Season 2, episode 36. We're off like a prom dress. See ya! Watch your fingers. Label me. I don't give a f***. I'll be your bad guy. Yeah. <laughs>